You might have noticed a change in your neighborhood lately. Yep, Sprint stores are now T-Mobile stores. Now that Sprint is T-Mobile, you get more coverage, value, and benefits than ever before. We've invested billions to bring our 5G from big cities to small towns across America. And great coverage is just the start. From high-speed mobile hotspot data to weekly deals and giveaways, our customers get tons of great benefits. Head to your new T-Mobile store to learn more. Qualifying service and capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain planner features. See T-Mobile.com. <clears throat> All right, folks, time for another edition of the online dinner party. Yours truly, Mark Lee, is here with another edition of the online dinner party. We're going to see if some of our guests pop in or not. If not, we've got some uh, replays of some things that were not given the full attention that they should have gotten in terms of that interview with a great artist here locally and all of that. So we may be putting that on as well. But I'm going to wait and see if some of our guests show up before we have to check out a little bit of the interview that we did with Charles and a lot of the things that he shared as well. Of course, we will definitely cut it off before we get to some of the political things that were going on at that time that may be the reasons that it's not on the international broadcast media network and all of that. But definitely, um, I think that, that was a great interview and a great conversation that was held about two weeks ago. So we may share some of that again, just so that folks can catch that as we check out a number of things that are going on in the world and all of that. So we do know a lot of things are happening and a lot of people are engaged in a number of things that are happening around the world. And I just found out some things related to the job market and all of that. So I'll be sharing some of these amazing things that I have learned about the things that are going on in the world and all of that. So hoping that folks will be definitely engaged, paying attention to a number of the things that we will be uh, talking about here on the online dinner party. We do, of course, have our mystery guests, as always, so I'll be revealing those later on in this afternoon. The mystery guests are always fascinating, and a lot of times folks are able to guess who they are, but not all the time, because sometimes folks are uh, trying to guess, and they just don't have the same kind of luck that I thought they would have, but we'll see if y'all are able to figure out these mystery guests or not. And so like I said, there are a number of mystery guests out there, and we're going to see if y'all are able to figure out who these folks are in the mystery guest category. So like I said, um, I think that y'all will enjoy a number of these folks, and we'll see if you're able to figure out who these folks may be or may not be as all that. So definitely, um, definitely a lot of things are happening in the world. I know that it was a little nippy here today. It was definitely a little bit on the chilly side. I think it's around 50 now, but this morning it might have been pushing around the 20s or something like that. I know I had to get bundled up with my jacket and sweater and definitely try to stay warm as I was trying to just uh, survive the weather that was going on. So definitely um, had that going on and a number of other things going on in the world as well. Of course, I was watching my alma mater, Marquette, try to uh, give me a little bit of heart palpitations and all of that because they had a handy lead and tried to let the lead slip away and let Butler, who's not playing good at all this year. But then again, we aren't doing all that great either. I think that we're about 500 ball and under 500 in the league that we are in, the very tough Big East Conference. But I definitely did not want us to be giving away the uh, house to Butler and giving away the game to Butler. And we did manage to pull off that win and even our series to, I believe it's nine and nine, because we were eight and nine. So we need to get some impressive wins against some good opponents 
and things along that line in order to do better than we are doing currently. So definitely I'll be paying attention to our team and seeing how that goes and whether we can get some victories or not. I know we need some victories uh, very uh, badly and we need them in a uh, against some top ranked opponents in order to even make a stand in order to try to get an NCAA bid. And I know a lot of folks are also going to be paying attention to the Super Bowl. That's right. The Super Bowl is coming our way on this coming Sunday. And I know a lot of folks will be paying attention to the game, watching the game and either rooting for Kansas City and or Tampa Bay. In terms of real dogs in the fight, I don't have any real dogs in the fight, but I am hoping definitely, um, even though I had him as my fantasy player, I don't think that I want Tom Brady to win another one. So I think I'll root for the city that's got jazz as part of its core and all of that. So let's have Kansas City maybe win back-to-back championships. But, you know, if I had my way, the Vikings would be in the playoffs and or the Carolina Panthers. But both of them have some serious rebuilding to do, in my opinion. So it might not even be this year. It might not be next year. It might be a while before we're actually able to get our team into any semblance of being a Super Bowl contender, but I'm hoping that they make some good uh, pickups, definitely uh, continue to build on the solid players that they have, and maybe even recruit some other solid players from other teams so that we can make a run at a championship. You know, a couple of my teams have been on the cusp, like, you know, my Milwaukee Brewers, the team I root for in baseball, has been on the cusp, but they have not made it to the World Series. Uh, definitely the uh, Marquette team, the last time they were in the Final Four, I believe, was 2003. So we're coming up almost on 20 years since they made a Final Four appearance. So definitely that was when Dwayne Wade was playing and all of that. So definitely hoping that some things will change, that we'll have some improvements on our team and that things will get a lot better. At least that's my hope and my prayer and all of that. By the way, let me tell you a little bit about some of the things that I found out in the the news. One of them was that private payrolls rebounded in January as companies added 174,000 new jobs after shedding them for the first time since April in the prior month. ADP Research Institute reported that healthcare and social assistance jobs led the gains which also extended to leisure and hospitality, an industry long pummeled by the pandemic that took hold in the spring and prompted widespread business shutdowns. Um, Some 10.7 million Americans remained unemployed, more than 5 million above pre-contagion levels. A separate gauge for growth in service industries showed the fastest expansion in almost two years last month, led by real estate, real rental and leasing, and construction. So those are some of the areas that seem to be doing well right now and all of that. So it'll be interesting to find out uh, what folks have to say and all of that. Matter of fact, one of the other articles that I was reading said the ADP National Employment Report for January was plus 174,000 for private payrolls from an upwardly revised plus, uh, no, I'm sorry, minus 78,000 Previously, minus 123,000, the increase was well above the median market expectation and could lead to some upward revision in estimates for the BLS data on private payrolls. However, given the size and frequency of big misses between the two in recent months, some such changes will be cautious. That's what an independent analyst was saying. They were also saying that uh, payrolls were plus 19,000 for goods producers in January. 
This was mainly due to the robust housing market and demand for construction workers at plus 18,000. Manufacturers were barely higher at plus 1,000 and natural resources were unchanged. Service provider payrolls were plus 156,000 in January. The hard hit leisure and hospitality industry was plus 35,000, which perhaps reflected colder weather and demand for winter outdoor activities. Healthcare was plus 48,000 and could be due to uh, ramping up efforts to distribute and administer the COVID-19 vaccine. Professional and business services were plus 40,000 and could also include services associated with active home sales. That's right, services associated with active home sales and maybe the reasoning for those kind of upticks and all of that. So that's just some of the things that are going on. And of course, we'll tell you about other things happening in the world as well. Always glad to see folks uh, checking out what we've got going on. And I see that we've got at least somebody watching right now. So hopefully they'll stay engaged and maybe even enjoy in the conversation and see how that is all going in that regard. So definitely a lot of things are happening that we are going to be paying attention to and all of that. Some people are also trying to figure out who Andy Jassy is, but apparently he is the heir to uh, Jeff Bezos. That's right. It's been uh, less than 24 hours, actually a little bit more than 24 hours since the Jeff Bezos announced his departure as the CEO of Amazon and many unfamiliar with his um, successors want to know more. Andy uh, Jassy, the head of Amazon Web Services and a longstanding member of the uh, S team, a group of Amazon's top executives, will step into Bezos' shoes in the third quarter. Jassy has led AWS since before its launch in 2006, and he has been widely heralded for transforming Amazon into a leader in the cloud infrastructure market. Jazzy being tapped as Bezos' hair highlights how important the cloud is becoming to our economy. So definitely the cloud, that uh, thing that keeps a lot of our computer information out there is uh, something that is very important to a lot of folks' businesses and all of that. So uh, definitely uh, interesting to hear a lot of folks uh, paying attention to the new head of um, Amazon and what he's got to say about um, his leadership style and all of that. So, um, matter of fact, one article that I was reading was saying, say goodbye to the boom and laugh and the space colonizing ambition of Amazon's founding CEO, Jeff Bezos, now that longtime top Lieutenant Andy Jazzy will be taken over as top executive. Things at the Seattle Techno retail giant may seem a little quieter at first, but don't let Jazzy's outward calm fool you, even if his hobbies and his clothing taste aren't as attention grabbing as his predecessor. And uh, this particular article was saying that they think that uh, his business horizons stretch at least as far as Bezos, maybe even further. And I don't know that you can go further than trying to go out into space, because I know that uh, definitely there were some folks that were trying to get out into space in terms of some of the uh, earlier folks and all of that. So nearly a um, this particular person who wrote this article was saying that they spent some time with uh, Jazzy and that they got a chance to know a little bit about him and all of that. They said that um, while they came to the interview with uh, certain maybe 
preconceived notions and all of that, they definitely um, learned a lot about the particular gentleman that will be taking over and all of that. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how things work out and uh, definitely what uh, Jazzy decides to do with his leadership and all of that. So matter of fact, um, in this particular article that I was reading, the gentleman that wrote the article, George Andrews, was saying that on um, many issues, Jazzy sounds very much like a faculty member in good standing at the Bezos School of Business. The incoming CEO regularly champions Amazon's longtime habit of designing new products by working backwards, first defining the customer experience, and then figuring out how to build it. Like Bezos, Jazzy believes that the best products sell themselves through great word of mouth and both like um, fragility. In everyday banner, though, the two are worlds apart. Bezos can be sizzling with his wordplay, offering wisdom, wit, and snark in bountiful helpings. Jazzy steps more cautiously or carefully. He remembers the little goofs that somehow create team culture, such as the ill-fated attempt to launch AWS Simple Storage System 3S with four S's. It sounded chunky, but if there's a snappy joke to be to be made there he isn't looking at it even on core business practices he's his own man in a speed obsessed company jazzy says that in the early days he never sets an explicit deadline for when aws needed to be launched it took about three years from idea to debut he didn't even make a revenue projection at first the reason is there are a lot of bumps that you have to work out explicit projections turn out to be wrong and they become more of a burden than a help and the article goes on to say that given Jazzy's 18-year immersion in, Dave, in AWS, some people may wonder if he can recalibrate himself to the widely varying norms of Amazon's many other businesses, which range from Hollywood production to retail delivery. His Harvard MBA might help. His biggest asset is the diversity of his 1997 to 2003 experience at Amazon pre-AWS. These include running Amazon's music stores and serving as Jeff Bezos' technical assistant. And they were definitely saying that when they uh, spoke in 2012, he was intrigued by the idea that if AWS made the most of its opportunities, it could someday be a bigger business than all of Amazon's vast retail operations. This isn't close to happening by revenue, even though AWS has expanded at a much ferocious rate. The retail side has been growing too fast to let AWS narrow the gap much, but in terms of profit contribution, the race has been much tighter. So uh, definitely it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out and everything. And like I said, it was checking out this article by George Andrews. As a matter of fact, he was saying that in one conversation, he asked repeatedly when he first knew that AWS was going to be a true growth rocket, he never provided a pinpoint answer, talking instead about many different stages where customer engagement kept getting bigger and more enthusiastic than expected. At least one of those junctures, Jazzy recalled, we started saying to ourselves, this actually looks like something interesting. Interesting. Remember that word, Amazon's board is betting that it needs. Childhood is wanting a variety of different baked sweets and someone telling you no. Adulthood is wanting a variety of different baked sweets and being able to go right to Mickey D's to get every single one you want. <laughs> Whenever you want. Get the new glazed pull-apart donut and a 99-cent any-sized iced coffee with pumpkin spice flavor. Sweet. Prices and participation may vary. Limited time only. Iced coffee promo available until 11 a.m. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Life gets a lot more magical when you dream. So let's dream of a vacation unlike any other. A magical Disney cruise. <laughs> Hiya, pal! Where new stories meet tales as old as time. Enchanté, mon ami! And your family will be cared for the moment you step aboard. Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line. His pending role as CAO, he will start something interesting once again. So they're definitely hoping that he's going to be an interesting party and all of that. So definitely we're going to see what's going on and always glad to have great conversations. And I see that Tim Sohn is watching and engaged in our conversation. So hopefully, uh, who knows, he may pop in and others may pop in as well, waiting to see who's going to pop in. I know that I had asked uh, Linda and a couple of others to pop in, but we do have some of the excerpts of our interview that we did with the artists um, sometime back. So we may be bringing them into the fold as well, and definitely sharing some of that wisdom also, and definitely sharing a number of other things that are going on. If y'all are watching, you got a idea or a pick for who you would like in your uh, Super Bowl, all of that, because I know some folks may be planning to have turkey and or chicken wings or something else as part of what they'll have on their plates and all of that. So if you are interested at all, then uh, definitely um, you can tell me online and let me know if you are got any things that are going on in your Super Bowl parties. Because I know some folks that are definitely planning some Super Bowl parties. And I was actually asked to even come on and possibly do one that is a Zoom-oriented one as well. So it'll be interesting to see how that all turns out and all of that. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what folks say and what is going on in that regards but uh we're just gonna find out um whether folks are gonna pop in and what they've got to say about the super bowl but uh i'm curious to see who's gonna pop in and what they've got to say about what's going on in their world i know that some folks are actually in snowed in environments so we're gonna see whether they um are doing some stuff as well that uh you might want to tell us about because we didn't have any snow. In fact, you just were, like I said earlier, a little bit nippy, but no snow and all of that. Um, so definitely um, it'll be interesting to see who pops in and what kind of conversations they've got going on and all of that. So definitely uh, we're finding out a number of things happening in that regard. So we're going to just continue our conversation, see if our guests show up. And if they don't show up, like I said before, we do have at least the um, interview that we did with the artist Charles, and that'll cover up about probably about an hour and a half or two hours. And then we'll get to the whole thing that we can do with our mystery guests as well. So, you know, I've got definitely things that can go all the way until the seven o'clock hour, regardless of what happens and all of that. So definitely um, looking forward to some great conversations and looking forward to seeing what folks are doing and all of that. So that's just what some of the folks are doing. I see that Yolanda Barnes is watching some of the things that we've got going on in here as well. So we'll see. Maybe Yolanda will decide to pop in and even grace us with some of their poetry and things along that line. So definitely uh, we're going to find out whether that goes on and how that plays out 
in that regards, because we do have a number of things that folks may be interested in learning much more about. And like I said, I didn't know that Russ said he might pop in as well. And a number of other folks may be sharing their thoughts also. So definitely, uh, like I said, we're going to play at least part of the interview with Charles and it may be done in segments and all of that because it was a fascinating conversation that we had with Charles. And like I said, I didn't know that they did full part of it off the air because of having some things that were done from the network in the sense of coverage of the um, inauguration and all of that. So we just may give y'all another opportunity to hear some of the thoughts from our artist friend and then come back with some more amazing conversations as well. And like I said, I'll probably be bringing that very shortly. And of course, we've got other news as well that we can share and we'll wait to see if any of our regular guests pop in also. So definitely it should be a fun conversation. And I know a number of you are definitely interested in a lot of things that are going on around the world and that are of concern to you. So like I said, I know that a number of folks are definitely engaged in great conversations around the world and all of that. And by the way, this is Black History Month. So that ought to tell you that the guests are probably going to be coming from the African-American um, background and African-American history, but I did want to at least have one that was international, so that is still the rule. Have uh, two to three mystery guests, and one will be international, and one will be probably from the, the United States, and in this case, we're going to give you three. One from the world of sports, uh, one from the world of justice and um, education. I would put them in both of those categories, and one from the uh, world of history. So definitely this is a historical figure. And I will tell you that the international one is the historical figure. So the international one is the historical figure. So just keep that in mind and all of that. So we will be revealing our international mystery guests as well as some of the national mystery guests as well. So definitely um, be interested to see how this all plays out. And it looks like uh, definitely co-working spaces have had another negative blow. And I know a lot of folks love co-working spaces. I've actually gone to some co-working spaces, know some of the co-working spaces that have been around here. And it looks like one of them that was uh, definitely doing a lot has uh, definitely filed for Chapter 11. So it's matter of fact, one of the questions that is being asked is, can co-working spaces survive the pandemic? New York-based co-working provider Notel, which had become a fierce competitor to WeWorks, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in the U.S. earlier this week, opting to be taken over by Newmark Group. Newmark Group. That comes as a steep drop in office demand is hurting a number of short-term rental businesses, which typically allow customers to get out of their contracts. Several entities tied to IWG's Office suite locations are shutting and uh, WeWorks continues to lose money as it remains in talks to go public. And I do know that there is some uh, WeWork kind of things that are even here in the triangle and all of that. So definitely it's going to be uh, interesting to see how this all plays out. As a matter of fact, there was a uh, gentleman on LinkedIn that was saying that WeWorks and No Tail actually represent a small percentage of the global co-working market. Their failings predate the pandemic and are not in the industry. So definitely Josh Rencher, who is a founder and CEO of uh, 
and five workspaces was saying that the future of co-working will be in a more capable hand. So he was actually giving some hope at everything to what's going on in co-working and all of that. And I'm sure that different folks have different uh, beliefs and the thoughts about how the co-working space can work or not work depending on uh, where they are in that space and what's going on in their minds in uh, that sense and all of that. And by the way, it looks like the U.S. has also withdrawn a case against Yale. Didn't know that Yale was in the middle of a a court case, but apparently they were. And that's just something that I am seeing now as well. But the Justice Department has scuttled a Trump-era lawsuit against Yale University that alleged a bias against Asian-American and white undergraduate applicants. The move likely presages a shift in civil rights enforcement under the new Biden administration, according to the Wall Street Journal. The federal case, similar to one lost against Harvard University last year, challenged race-based policies aimed at achieving diversity. So definitely that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out and all of that. Um, right the way, I saw that one of the president candidates of the past has actually got a new job. So that's right, uh, Pete B is got the job as the transportation secretary and all of that. So definitely it'll be interesting to see what folks have to say about his message and what he's doing as the transportation secretary. And I believe a couple of other folks have already got their jobs as well. So I know some of these are still going before the uh, legislative branches and determining whether they get um, approved or not. But definitely Pete B is, uh, I believe they said, the first openly gay member of the cabinet uh, that has been in office um, ever, I believe is what they said. So I need to double check that and verify that. But they were definitely saying that he is uh, got that job and that he is uh, one actually pretty handily in the way that he was approved and all of that. So um, definitely that is one of the uh, folks that got approved uh, recently and all of that. So uh, we're gonna see uh, how that all plays out. And if you got any thoughts about how the cabinet is playing out and if you got any thoughts as to whether you like the nature of the cabinet, I would love to hear your thoughts on the cabinet and all of that. But yes, I am reading the article and it did say that Pete Buttigieg became the first openly gay Senate confirmed cabinet secretary. So yes, when he got confirmed yesterday, that was a historical first and all of that. So he was confirmed on yesterday. So he is definitely now uh, has that as some of his uh, historical uh, definitely claimed in that he has got going forward and all of that. So definitely I was correct in seeing that. I did look it up just to verify that I was correct in making that statement. So I definitely did go back and look over the article that the USA Today put out there yesterday. And they definitely said that that is the case. So. Definitely, I'm curious to see what folks' thoughts are about and they are hearing about or whether they would like to see some other types of picks out there also. So definitely would love to hear from our uh, fans of the online dinner party as to what they would like to see happening in the future and all of that. And if they are happy with the nature of the um picks in the cabinet, as well as just the nature of the first several days 
of the Biden administration. We know that they are definitely doing a number of things in the Biden administration, but I would love to hear your thoughts as to how you feel the administration is doing and whether you approve of the nature of the administration or whether there are other things that you would like to see done differently. And what are some of the issues that you would like to have tackled by this administration? So that's just some of the things that I'm curious to hear about as folks uh, think about a number of things going on in the world and their thoughts about them. But definitely they did say that Pete Buttigieg was confirmed um, yesterday as the transportation secretary and uh, the former mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and a Democratic presidential candidate received overwhelming bipartisan definitely got a lot of great praise in a bipartisan level and all of that so definitely there were a number of folks that were praising him and all of that so following the vote he said he was honored and humbled by today's vote in the senate and ready to get to work senator maria cantwell a democrat of washington the incoming democratic chair of the panel overseeing Buttigieg confirmation praised him tuesday as a young energetic mayor who could help us usher in a new era of transportation uh, the department distributes billions of dollars in federal highway funding and regulates aviation railroads and busing and being busing President Joe Biden's infrastructure and clean energy plan has proposed placing 500,000 charging stations along highways and charging and changing federal vehicles to electric power. Biden also has signed an executive order requiring the wearing of face masks in airports, on certain public transportation, and on many trains, planes, and buses. Uh, definitely. Buttigieg got favorable reception in confirmation hearings for the transportation secretary role. During his confirmation hearing in late January, he told senators his background as a mayor gave him a bottom-up perspective on transportation programs and funding, reflecting on infrastructure programs he administered in the city, like the revitalization of the city's downtown and the revamping of its train system and airport. So that's just some of the things that he was praising that he had done when he was uh, mayor of South Bend. Buttigieg was the nation's youngest mayor of a city South Bend size or larger when he took office in 2012. He envisioned his hometown as a beta city, the perfect size to use his data-driven background with the consulting firm McKinsey to test big ideas. That included uh, the smart sewers that saved South Bend an estimated hundreds of millions of dollars and became a template for a product now sold to the cities all over the world. So that's just some of the things that he did when he was doing that. In 2018, South Bend beat out more than 300 other cities for a Bloomberg Mayor's Challenge grant to expand a ride share service the city piloted. Former President Donald Trump's acting director of national intelligence Dunkin' is putting a whole new spin on pumpkin at Dunkin' with our new pumpkin cream cold brew. Smooth, bold, cold brew topped with velvety pumpkin cream cold foam made with cinnamon and nutmeg spices. And there's more pumpkin for you to love, like the delicious fall classic, our pumpkin spice signature latte. Rich espresso topped with whipped cream, caramel drizzle, and cinnamon sugar. That's how we pumpkin at Dunkin'. Sip into the fall season with the $3 medium pumpkin cream cold brew or pumpkin spice signature latte. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusion apply. Valid on pumpkin spice signature latte only in all cold foam cold brew. Life gets more magical when you dream. So dream of a Disney cruise filled with magic and wonder. <laughs> Hiya, pal! 
Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line. Rick Greenall was the first openly gay uh, cabinet member. At least that's what uh, I was seeing there and everything. But let me see if I can go back and see what they were saying about that particular uh, person that had the office in the past and all of that. I'm guessing it was because of the time frame and all of that. So we're going to see if I can bring that up and see more about what was the difference between him and Buttigieg in that sense of who was uh, having the office and all of that. So definitely um, pulling that up and seeing what the uh, difference was and all of that. Um, so definitely as I get ready to try to pull that up and add more details and all that. Oh yes, it says, but he was never confirmed by the Senate. So definitely um, he was the uh, first openly gay cabinet level official, but he was never confirmed by the Senate. So that is the difference there and all of that. So definitely um, be interesting. Uh, to see how things go in the transportation department. I'm definitely thinking that it will be uh, very interesting and all of that. So definitely uh, that's just some of the things that are going on. And another candidate is actually uh, apparently catching some flack for some things that he's done in the past and all of that. So definitely I know that some folks are fans of John Kerry and other folks are not necessarily fans of John Kerry and all of that. But it does says the White House climate czar, John Kerry traveled to Iceland by private jet in 2019 to accept an environmental award and defended his transportation choice to a reporter at the time by calling it the only choice for somebody like me. Kerry flew to Iceland in October 2019 to receive the Arctic Circle Award and Iceberg Sculpture for his leadership on climate issues and being a consistent voice pressuring the American authorities to commit to tackle environmental matters, according to Icelandic outlet RUV. During the trip, Kerry was confronted by Icelandic reporter Johan Bajarni Kobason on whether his use of the private jet was an environmental way to travel. If you offset your carbon, it's the only choice for somebody like me who is traveling the world to win this battle, Kerry responded. So that's definitely something that is, uh, I guess, not in the positive sense of news and all of that. So that's something he said. The former Secretary of State went on to emphasize his climate accomplishments, including negotiating the Paris Accord for the U.S. and bringing Chinese President Xi to the table. So he was definitely saying that he brought that person to the table and he was saying that he's been involved in the fight for a number of years. I believe the time it takes me to get somewhere, I can't sail across the ocean. I have to fly to meet with people and get things done. He continued. But what I'm doing almost full time is working to win the battle of climate change. And in the end, if I offset and contribute my life to do this, I'm not going to be put on the defensive. Last week, Kerry recommended that oil and gas workers should pivot to manufacturing solar panels if their jobs are eliminated as a consequence of the Biden administration's environmental policies. Biden signed several executive orders on climate change last week aimed at achieving the goal of reaching net zero emission by 2050. During his first week in office, the president re-entered the Paris Climate Accord from which the Trump administration withdrew the U.S. in 2017. Biden also canceled the permit on the Keystone Pipeline, a project that would have created about 11,000 U.S. jobs this year, according to the Keystone XL website. Many of the workers are temporary, but 8,000 are union workers. So that's just some of the news that is going on in the reference to uh, that and 
things along those lines. So definitely uh, it's going to be interesting to find out. By the way, I think that the impeachment trial is going to start next week as well. So that's something that folks will be paying attention to as to whether we actually have a ex-president that gets uh, impeached and all of that and what the consequences would be in that regard. So I think that those trials are starting next week, if I remember correctly, maybe like on um, Tuesday or something like that. For some reason, the ninth is resonating with me as the date that they were saying that they might move into having those changes and all of that. So I'm going to see if that is correct and uh, definitely have folks uh, engaged in that conversation also. So definitely that's just some of the things that are going on in the world as the world continues doing some amazing things and all of that. So definitely I know that a lot of folks are paying attention to amazing things happening in the world and of course are engaged in a number of great conversations. So like I said, I'm going ready to pull up what I said I was gonna pull up earlier, which is that um, show that we did with Charles about his artwork and all of that. But then I will be back um, probably in about uh, an hour or so talking about a number of other things that are going on and all of that in terms of uh, both sports as well as um, bringing up our mystery guests because we do have some mystery guests as well. So looking forward to y'all checking out our amazing mystery guests. And I think that y'all will enjoy the mystery guests when I bring them up and all of that. But I did want y'all to catch an interview that was a truly amazing interview, but unfortunately we were not able to uh, keep it on, but I'm going to uh, uh, let y'all check out the interview. And then once the interview is done, then we will come back with some more conversations with other guests and things along that line. So I'm gonna take a breather and let y'all catch at least a little bit of the interview that we did with artist Charles. And definitely I think that y'all will be very much engaged in this conversation. So get ready to bring that up. And of course, we'll see some other things going on as well. And we'll see if Tim pops in, if Russ pops in, or if some of our other guests decide to pop in as well. So definitely that's what we're going to do is we're going to bring up our conversation that we had earlier with an amazing artist from right here in this area. So this was about two weeks ago, but I know some of you did not catch that interview, so I did want y'all to have an opportunity to hear it once again. So like I said, get ready to bring that up and then we'll let y'all uh, check out this truly is an interview that I think that y'all will enjoy. And then we'll come back with more conversations and all of that. So definitely if y'all will just sit tight, we'll bring you up the conversation that we did with Charles some time back. So I think that y'all will enjoy this conversation and I look forward to uh, y'all's thoughts on it and all of that. So right now, let's check out a little bit of the conversation we did with Charles earlier. In a artist himself and definitely having others in the family that are also involved in the creative community, whether that's my mom and dad when they were working in radio or whether that's a number of friends that are artists and a number of friends that are musicians as well. So always have a very special part in my heart for the artist community and all of that. And definitely working over at the Hey Ty Heritage Center, I've seen a lot of great artists like Willie Bigelow and a number of others as well. So gonna bring Calvin in. We'll have a conversation about his artwork, how he got involved in art 
and all of that. So definitely looking forward to this great conversation and everything. So Calvin, glad that you were able to join us here on the online dinner party on the international broadcast media. And the folks can learn more about your artwork. And I might even be able to pull up some of the artwork at some point and share it with them and all. But definitely, I know that you are a artist and a lot of folks are very much into the art community here, but I don't even know how you got into the art world. So were you always the kid that was drawing as a young person or did it come to you later in life? Share a little bit with our international audience because this network is based uh, here, the founders in North Carolina and one of the founders in India, but we have folks that watch from all over and shows from all over because I know that Alexandria does a show out of South Africa. Brother Mike does one out of Nigeria and they're folks that are watching and paying attention to the shows from throughout the uh, country of the United States, as well as throughout the entire world and all of that. And also, how are you doing? Because I know a lot of folks were watching the um, inauguration, and of course, everybody is concerned about their own individual health. So that's where I, I start off with is, how are you doing on this day as we're all going through what we're going through in life? Hi, Mark. Uh, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Uh, I've been hanging in there. Uh, this COVID stuff has been crazy, but uh, I'm looking forward to 2021 and uh, seeing how this year goes. Um, yeah, I mean, to your first question, as far as how I got into the arts, um, I mean, when I was younger, it was something that I was doing and I didn't even know I was doing it. Uh, my dad was a photographer and we used to go through his uh, boxes as as kids, and we used to just look at all his prints. And uh, my mom was a drama person, and uh, when we were younger, she always used to just encourage us to draw and uh, make clay things and play around. Uh, she also uh, would buy me sketchbooks, and I would just fill them up and fill them up and fill them up. But I, I actually would never complete them. Uh, my main thing was basketball. Uh, growing up black in America, you know, basketball and sports, it tends to be a big focus. But um, when I blew out my knee, I realized I was making art all day anyway. And I realized I might as well just keep making art and and, and put a lot of my focus on, on only making art. And so I've taken some of that passion from basketball and I put it all on art making. And, and now my focus is is all art, 100 percent. Gotcha. And who would you say are some of the folks that influenced you? It sounds like definitely your dad influenced you. And it sounds also like your parents influenced you. But who are some of the artists, whether they're here in uh, North Carolina, whether they're from around the country or around the world, that you would say are the artists that really influenced you and your own art style? Yeah, I mean, I'm inspired by a lot of people. I'm inspired by inventors. I'm inspired by artists. I'm inspired by people like Tesla and Edison. Uh, I'm inspired by Benjamin Franklin. You know, I'm inspired by people who don't even make art, people who just do interesting things. Um, but I mean, as far as the artists go, I mean, I'm inspired by everybody from O'Keefe to Duchamp to uh, Mark Bradford today and uh, people like Banksy and uh, people like uh, Donald Judd. Uh, and all these artists, they do very different work. But for me, uh, I learn a little bit from all of them and I uh, bring it into my artwork and it creates kind of a unique hybridization. And, and that's kind of my how I how I how I how I create my voice. Um, it's just one one mentor. Uh, his name is Mark Brown, who's a painter in North Carolina. Um, one thing that he would say is take what you want, and leave the rest. And um, I've always kind of had that approach whenever I look at artists or historical figures. It's always like, okay, well, I like how they did this and 
I don't know about some of this other stuff over here, but um, let me just take a little bit of this and add this and combine this and come up with my own thing. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And how would you describe your artwork if you had to describe it in one word? And I know a lot of times artists like musicians don't necessarily like to describe their artwork because it may have different aspects and different things that they do with their artwork. But if you had to put a description on it, how would you describe it? I would say it's assemblage. Um, I've always, ever since a young kid, you know, it would always be like, okay, I always have enough to create. It doesn't matter if I have nothing but a cardboard box, you know, with that, I can you know, paint the inside, paint the outside, kick it, break it down, tear it apart, put it back together. Uh, and, and, and that's always kind of been my ethic, you know, so I always have enough to create. And from that, you know, assemblage, it's working with found materials, be they sampling audio, sampling video, or sampling uh, trash, you know, picking up trash and, and turning that into art. You know, there's something I like about taking something that people would not traditionally consider to be art, and to turn it into art or it's something that people wouldn't traditionally consider to be beautiful and to turn it into beautiful. I feel like for me as a force of nature, um, you know, nature will uh, go into the forest, a tree will fall over and then eventually it'll decay. And then from that de decaying new life will spring forth. So for me, it's working with these um, old found objects or found materials, whatever they are, and then turning that into something that might be beautiful for a little bit or might be, uh, interesting, you know. I don't even know what beauty is, but it might it just just making interesting things. You know, I I find that to, or interesting experiences, I should say. Um, I find that to be what 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 I really uh, enjoy about making art. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I know that a lot of times um, we've been seeing artists be kind of the force of conversation around a number of issues and all of that. And I know that one of your pieces actually even kind of like highlights the works of. Baldwin and numbers of other folks and that being the black consciousness piece and everything. So I was wondering if you could share a little bit about how you feel art plays an important role of some of our social discussions. Cause I do feel that art does play an important role, but I don't want to put words into your mouth. I want to know what you think about the role of art in social change and justice. Oh, I mean, art, art and being an artist is, is I feel like being an artist is almost like being a medium. You know, you walk through the world, you experience the world and, and through your experiences, you then go out and create. And, you know, that that might take so many different forms. But for me, experiencing the world as a black African-American, you know, I'm 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 looking at, you know, some of the things that are uh, unjust in society. And it's very difficult for me not to, when I just create, you know, and I'm saying process create, I'm saying, you know, close, close off my thoughts and just let it out. It's difficult for me. From earaches to strep tests, there's Minute Clinic at CVS. See a provider, fill a prescription and grab essentials or see us online with telehealth options. That's healthier made easier. Visit Minute Clinic at CVS today. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details. Life gets more magical when you dream. So dream of a Disney cruise filled with magic and wonder. <laughs> Hiya, pal! Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line. When I'm in that sort of space to not have what emerges to somehow reflect a social consciousness. And that might just be because, you know, once again, as far as who inspires me, I mean, Baldwin, uh, Malcolm X, you know, Martin Luther King, you know, all these, those are the first books I started reading. You know, those were, that's what got me into reading, was, was reading about the revolutionaries. 
And um, for that reason, I guess, you know, when, when I made Black Consciousness, I was thinking about uh, as a Black male, you know, who are the figures that I look up to, be they, you know, uh, Malcolm X or, or Baldwin or be they um, 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 uh, uh, Michael Jordan or, 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 or Michael Jackson even, you know, and, and how do these figures, how these figures affected my identity and then how can I then project them in a room and, and put cardboard all up, you know, representing protest signs and allow people then to walk into this space and then write how these people have affected their consciousness of what it means to be a black male today or their consciousness of the black male experience. And uh, for many, you know, they might see us as, you know, the Tupac thug life, which right. you know, had its own social force, which was positive, but also intimidating and also, you know, powerful, but also scary, you know, so there's, you know, all this, all this uh, other stuff going on with that. Um, but all of it, you know, and, and then you got Barack Obama and how he kind of flipped the script, you know, and, and now everybody's got their pants hanging up a little bit, a little bit tighter to their waist, you know, and, and everybody's, you know, sharpening up a little bit, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that either. I mean, that's, it's all, it's all good. It's all progress, I'd say. Um, yeah. Definitely, I agree with you that that's a lot of progress and everything. I definitely agree with uh, the way that you're um, articulating that and everything. What was kind of your impression now that we've got the first uh, minority woman sitting there in the, the uh, White House having that inauguration earlier today and everything? But I was just wondering some of your thoughts of having Kamala in office now as the uh, first uh, minority person representing us, but also representing the Indian community and a number of other communities as well. But as an African-American man, what was your thoughts as you watched that or did you watch that earlier today? Oh, yeah, I was watching it all day. Um, I mean, honestly, I'm I'm really happy to, to, to see that Biden as a president is very, very smart. I mean, he, the fact that he uh, brought Kamala along and she represents not only the African-American community, but the South Asian community and women and uh, is the vice president. And, and uh, I mean, to me, um, I, I, I'm just so happy with this ticket. I mean, it represents the diversity of this country that hopefully uh, when the rest of the world looks at us, they see as being, this is, this is America. America is not just about being white. It's not just about being black. It's, it's about having a place where everybody can, can be here and, and have their own cultures expressed and um, um, represented and, uh, 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 go on and, and impact and, and help out the rest of the world where, if necessary, if not necessary, I mean, that's cool too. Um, and honestly, it seems as though the rest of the world too is becoming a lot more diverse as far as how people are, uh, moving around and, uh, uh, having this sort of, uh, no longer, you know, only one country, people from one country living in one place. I mean, people are being able to move a lot more, more, more today than they've ever been able to move in the past. And I think all that is, is, is wonderful for our experience of, of the world. I mean, as an artist, um, what I'm interested in is, is experience and people being able to uh, broaden their consciousness through having the ability to experience more and different perspectives. And I know my, my experience is very limited. I mean, I've only left the United States very, very few amount of times, but so I'm, I, I mean, I consider myself to be, have a very American centric point of view but, you know, in my experience, I would like to be able to, uh, you know, go out there and, and, and see more and all that stuff. But uh, I mean, Kamala, I mean, I'm, I'm very, I'm very, very happy that uh, uh, Biden made this choice to have her along. And I think that what she brings, you know, even by having the Howard uh, uh, marching band 
play along, you know, for the for the inauguration. I mean, that I mean, that that's 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 what it's about, you know, because we can't just have the traditional trumpets. You know, we need to we need to have some some beat. You know, we need to have a beat going on, man. And that's what America is today. And that's what America will be uh, moving forward to the future. And that's what I think the rest of the world likes. about us is that diversity no i definitely agree with you that diversity is something that's very important i know it's something that kim who's actually watching from um another's part and everything but she's one of the founders and i know that that's what she's all about is about diversity and all of that so i did see that she had made a comment that she was watching um and checking out um our conversation and all of that so definitely uh glad that kim is uh tuning in and everything her and nick palveda are two of the founders of the international broadcast media. But um, one of the things I know that she talks about a lot of times, and Nick does, is the fact that they feel that sometimes an 18th century in terms of the way we do education in the 21st century. And as an artist, I was wondering your thoughts on that and whether you feel that you're seeing enough of the arts being included in the education system, or would you like to see more of the arts being in, included? I know that there's a, a big push for STEM, and some people would like to make that even more like STEAM with adding the art element, but as one that is an artist, do you see enough of the art element in our education system? Honestly, I mean, as far as education goes, I, 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 uh, I left college early, and a lot of my education has been through reading on the internet lecture on YouTube. And I think that, you know, at first there were only a select few people that could read and uh, those people had all the knowledge. And then after that, you know, knowledge is only be, be is only beginning to become more available to more people. So I think as education develops, I think it's all about figuring out how we can uh, uh, bring more knowledge to more people and and you know what was difficult what's difficult about the internet these days is that there's a lot of fake and falsehoods going on and so i think that's that's uh that can be a problem when when people are trying to self-educate themselves um but at the same time i think that um there's there's a lot to be said for what is offered if you go to the right sources and so i mean they have uh, this thing called edX, which uh, is it, it offers free online college courses to anybody who wants to take them. I took a business course and I learned a lot about marketing, and um, that was that was really that's been really uh, powerful for the work that I'm doing with art. Um, but as far as STEM and STEAM and having the arts incorporated in, into uh, the the overall education of folks, I mean, I think the arts is kind of like a monkey wrench. I think the arts is kind of like a joke. I think the arts kind of like challenges every single thing that we could possibly think is correct. The arts will take, as soon as you think you figured out the arts, the arts will flip it over and put it on its head. You know, and I think that's really important. Really important for our creative thinking. That's really important for our uh, ability to come up with new ideas and hopefully make a more equitable uh, world for everybody. Because no matter what you may think, there's always going to be somebody out there with an opposite perspective thinking somebody something completely different. And the arts provides a great medium for people to express this and get this out and learn how to uh, um, articulate it. Um, right. and, and I mean, that's important. And one of the things you talked about is being kind of uh, 
self-taught in a lot of ways and things of that nature. And I was just wondering, a lot of times, whether you're talking about visual artists or performing artists or even dramatic artists, a lot of times they, a lot of folks know the um, talent side of it, but don't necessarily know the business side of it. So could you talk a little bit about the importance of learning that side to you and how you went about learning that side? Because I do find that even some of the times older artists don't always um, do as much as they could do on the business side. And sometimes they even get trapped into doing those freebie kind of events and things of that nature. So I just wanted if you could share a little bit about your thoughts about the business aspect of art and the way you handle it. Oh, yeah. I mean, to me, I'm just trying to learn the business. I mean, for the first 10 years, it's been all focused on art. And uh, I mean, there's so much art history, so much to know about art. I mean, first, I started out thinking art, it was just painting, you know, and then you realize it's sculpture. And then you realize that a painting is really just a sculpture hanging on the wall, but somebody painted it, you know, so you start thinking about objects differently. And so then, you know, there's there's all this stuff. And then you start, you know, assembling and putting things together and realize that you can assemble sculptures and create space. And you realize sculpture is all about space. And it's not even about the object. It's about the space around the object and how the object interacts with the space. So that's been my first 10 years is just trying to understand what art is. But then once you do all that, it's like, oh, geez, well, I need to feed myself. How You know, how am I supposed to live off of this? And so now it's all business. It's all figuring out marketing and I mean, I haven't even gotten into accounting yet, but I know I have to because, um, you know, taxes are becoming higher and higher or, or I'm having to pay more and more taxes. The more money I earn uh, off of my art and off of, you know, understanding business and generating revenue through, all, you know, alternate res- alternate sources. Um, but I mean, I, the business thing, like I said, I'm 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 a novice, but I'm 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 learning all I can. And um, I, I consider myself. Uh, someone who, uh, you know, wants to learn the business. I mean, who was it that said, uh, uh, oh, it was uh, Andy Warhol who says "Good, the best art is good business or, or good business is good, makes good art. Um, so, I mean, the, I, I do think that that's really important. And then even once you start learning the business, then you start thinking about what you're going to create in a whole different way as far as how long it takes to create it, you know, the amount of cost to produce it. Um the amount of people it's going to affect, uh, how you're going to get it out to all these people. And um, all that stuff is, is really important that, you know, before that you might just spend a year working on one piece and that's great. We need work like that. I mean, that, that work is sometimes some of the best work possible, but you know, you really need to also understand the business and how you're going to support that piece that you're going to make. Now you're going to spend that whole year making and who then you're going to get it out to, or is it, or are you just going to, you know, exhibit it in a few places and then put it in a storage shed? You know, or, or are you going to get paid to exhibit it in a few places? And how are you going to get paid to exhibit it in a few places? Um, so to me, you know, I'm 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 just at the tip of the iceberg learning the learning business. But um, it's something that I'm greatly interested in and, and realizing is uh, imperative if you want to make a career uh, as an artist. Or and a I know that, career. Yeah. And I know that even locally, there have been some folks that have even left a uh, corporate world in order to go full time into their art and their even being like pushes to have art subsidies. I know that Monica Burns was very much involved in that before the uh, pandemic kind of uh, derailed a lot of people's efforts and things of that nature. And that uh, Monet Noel Marshall has been involved in a number of things like the Art Ain't Innocent project and things of that nature. So as an artist, how important do you think it is to team up with other artists and also to try to get artists involved in some of these advocacy projects that have been coming up over the last several years? Like I said, I know that Monica was going in front of the city council trying to make sure that 
artists were getting some sort of revenue and that it wasn't just the artists being exploited, but they were actually getting some sort of support from the city of Durham. And I think that they were also trying to line up the similar kind of efforts in other parts of the triangle. And I know that there have been other efforts similar in other parts of the nation and the globe. But I was just wondering your thoughts about some of these advocacy efforts that have been going on the last several years. I mean, I think they're great. I think um, if if you have the uh, desire to create these sorts of things, then I think they're great. I think that it, it requires, for me personally, it requires so much uh, time to learn and to create the art that, I mean, I, okay, so my name's Calvin. I, I feel like my spirit animal is the tiger. And I feel like the tiger, the tiger is kind of a lone ranger a lot of the times. Um, so, I mean, I'm often trying to figure it out and and, and, and do it alone. And I know that's, you know, that can be problematic because, you know, as humans, what makes us so powerful is our ability to work in groups. So for me, trying to balance when to go alone and when to participate in a larger group and and to to and what can I bring to a larger group? I mean, that's that's something that I'm often trying to trying to trying to navigate. Um, but I mean, I, I think that if if you are somebody who uh, is, is 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 has a background in corporate America and has some information and knowledge to bring to the rest of the artists who are, you know, people like me who started out in art first. I mean, then that's, that's great because I'm always trying to learn from the people who study business first um, because they, I mean, they're, they've got the other half of it. You know, it's not, it's not just art, you know, it's business and art and they go hand in hand. Um, and the more uh, the arts and the business, can uh, come together and, and learn from each other, I think the, the better we all end up benefiting. No, that makes a lot of sense. I know another thing that a lot of artists, including even artists that are in the same age range as my dad and everything, who's uh, in his uh, early 80s and everything, that they don't have talked about is that a lot of times artists are also sometimes being pushed to do those free works to get those art to get those exhibits that are might not get the necessary reward and things of that nature by the corporations by a number of other folks as well. So when you're approached by folks that want you to do free work, how do you handle that and how do you go about letting them know that you need to be gotten a reward as well as anybody else? I mean, for the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done, for the ones wearing many hats, for the ones who are hands-on even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, with 24 7 support and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You might have noticed a change in your neighborhood lately. Yep, Sprint stores are now T Mobile stores. Now that Sprint is T Mobile, you get more coverage, value, and benefits than ever before. We've invested billions to bring our 5G from big cities to small towns across America. And great coverage is just the start. From high-speed mobile hotspot data to weekly deals and giveaways, our customers get tons of great benefits. Head to your new T-Mobile store to learn more. Qualifying service and capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. They wouldn't want a doctor to do free work, so I don't know why they would want an artist to do free work. But as an artist and as a relatively new artist, how do you... Uh, navigate that it's it's tough to navigate i tell you i mean i to me i look at the exhibition venue and i look at the you know what 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 does this place provide because sometimes it has such a great reputation that by exhibiting here now you're available you're you're open to getting a fellowship that pays you eight thousand dollars or or that pays you you know fifty thousand dollars 
Um, and so sometimes you have to work your way up. And uh, with that, that means that you got to have your own revenue stream coming in. You got to know how to manage your own business. And you can't rely on the people who are providing a space to be the people who are going to make it for you. Uh, you got to then also realize, okay, well, how much am I going to bring into this? Have, do I already have work that I've already made that I can just hang on the wall? Or am I going to create a new show for this? Um, and, and that's not, you know, sometimes that's good depending on the venue, but sometimes it's not. But in my experience, I'd say that um, I'm not necessarily against the free stuff, but it depends on what the opportunity is. If it's somebody who just um, wants you to hang art and they, in, they're not paying you and it's not, it has no institutional sort of reputation, then it might not be the best opportunity. But if the institution has great, great reputation, you've seen amazing artists pass through there and go on to do amazing things. And sometimes... Sometimes those are, that's just breaking the bones and that's part of it. But then you got to figure out, okay, now if I show here, what, what doors are these going to open up for me and, and where am I then going to hang this work? So hopefully I could sell it or, or how am I going to then move this work around so that I can, I can start getting something in return for this work. Um, because I, I know so many artists that create all this work and all they do is put in a storage unit and mm. that's, that's tough. But, it's also regional. It's also, okay, well, in this region, maybe the thing is public art. Or in this region, maybe the thing is, you know, getting a fellowship or a grant. Or in this region, okay, this is where certain galleries are. Once I've created this work, once I've created this collection of work at this exhibit, to have this exhibit, now I can take this exhibit that's gotten this press and I can take it to a gallery in Philadelphia and they might be interested in exhibiting the work to sell it. And they might have a gallery that's interested in selling the work. So, you know, you got to be able to... Uh, serve your community because that's really important. That 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 opens up so many doors for you. But then once you serve your community, you also have to look at the broader community and think about, you know, okay, how can I start moving this stuff around nationally? How can I start moving this stuff around internationally? And what opportunities have been opened up to me from these uh, from this work that I have put in so far? Yeah. And um, how important do you think it is to be part of like art collectives? I know that HI has like that black art collective that does shows regularly before the pandemic and everything, but definitely they were having a number of artists that Willie was kind of, uh, Willie Bigelow was kind of curating the artists, whoever they might be. But how important do you think it is to be part of like greater collectives of artists that are showing together? I've heard that collectives uh, really uh, will, will open up doors for people and, and, I've heard that, you know, often it's who you know. It's not even what you know. It's, it's not even what you've done sometimes. Sometimes it's just who you know. And because they have an opportunity now, uh, because you might do similar stuff, you know, now they're, you know, telling the curator and the curator is now looking at your stuff too. And it's like, okay, this is, this is another artist that I'm interested in. Uh, personally, uh, well, like I said, I'm, I'm more of a tiger. <laughs> right. you know? So, I mean, I'm, I'm out there, you know, doing street art. I'm out there, you know, documenting my stuff, uh, promoting my stuff and uh, applying the stuff and uh, uh, doing doing my thing like that. I mean, I was uh, a part of a co-op at one point And I mean, that was good. I mean, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about selling art. And um, I think, you know, that that was that was a great experience for me. Um, and I, you know, and I, and after having been a part of that co-op years later, I was able then to get a whole other group of artists together to go and show in that beautiful exhibition venue. And um, after that, that group of artists and me went and showed at another exhibition venue. 
and you know and 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 now you know we're doing different things but we still might you know contact each other from time to time just to be like hey what's up what's going on what are you what are you doing oh what are you doing and you know who knows there might be another exhibit or there might be uh something that we might be able to collaborate on um so it's good to have relationships i i you know they say never burn bridges and i think that's really important i think that collectives if anything helps you build relationships and the more people that you're connected to the more opportunities that you might have coming your way without you having to go out and reach for them. And I think that's uh, one of the important values of, of the whole collective mindset. Yeah, that makes sense. What are your thoughts about um, festivals? Because I know a lot of times artists will think that the festivals might be another way to get out there, whether it's say Eno, whether it's Centerfest, whether it's Art Explosure, whether it's a number of other festivals that exist both here locally as well as nationally. But as an artist, what are your thoughts about using festivals as a tool to get your artwork out? Uh, I, I think it depends on what your focus is. I mean, I've seen it work for a lot of artists. I've seen like Darius Quarles show at Centerfest and now he's painting murals all over town, you know, and it's like through through him constantly showing his work, uh, people then reach out to him to go and paint a mural in downtown. And, and that was his first one. And now that he has his first one, now people are constantly contacting him to do more and more and more. So, I mean, I think the more that you show your work, it probably helps you out in some way. Um, but it's all about what you want. You know, I personally, I haven't really done the festival thing because I'm not really the type who can go and set up a booth and, and try and sell my work or hustle my work that way. I'm more the type who is applying for fellowships and grants and, you know, is looking for a gallery to sell my work for me. Um, and that, you know, and there's many ways to get there, too. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I, this is just my approach, but, um, but it, it doesn't make a difference, though. So. Everybody has their own different approaches. Like I said, I would just try to get a feel for your approach and everything. I know another thing that artists and particularly art fans are oftentimes surprised by is sometimes when they look at the prices of artwork. And I do know that sometimes artists will intentionally set prices in such a way as in order to uh, not necessarily, that they have their certain pieces that are their favorite pieces that they may not necessarily want to sell. And I think that that sometimes throws some of the fans off because they'll see an artwork that might be at a higher price than they were expecting. But that's kind of the impression that I get. But I was just wondering, as an artist, do you find that that's something you do or that other artists do that you might have certain favorite pieces that you might not necessarily price at the more market value because for whatever reasons, you might not want that piece to go into the uh, individual's house or you might want to save it for a later time or for a festival or for an exhibit or for a number of reasons. Uh, I mean, if I have a piece that's not for sale, I'll just say it's not for sale. But generally, everything I make is for sale. You know, I feel like I made it so I can make it again. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, sometimes things take a lot of labor. And you might have made it without knowing that, okay, well, to get it right, you know, just to get it right. It might have taken six months to make. And somebody might look at it and they'll be like, they could never imagine that it took six months to make this. But it took six months to make. So what am I supposed to price that at? You know, and that's 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 tough. You know, and 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 it was actually a, a Jim who who told me, you know, you gotta you gotta pay attention to what the market can bear. You know, you can't just price things at whatever you want to price it. You got to be able to produce and price your stuff at what the market can bear. So that might mean, you know, that piece that took six months to make, you can only sell the print of it for you know three hundred and fifty dollars. Or that might mean you got to make work for $350 and you have to make a whole collection of work that you can sell at a lower price point and then maybe turn that collection into a book. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of different ways. And then, you know, the book you can sell at a lower price point at $40. 
Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of a uh, 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 run you can get out of making one piece if you want to put that six months into the piece. You know, you can turn it into a print. You can make a collection, turn that into a catalog. You can you know turn it into a print media, and that that can go a lot further. But um, yeah, I mean, I I personally do not uh, have favorites that I overprice um, just because I like them. Um, although I could see someone if they you know if they have pieces that they don't want to sell, pieces that they want to, you know, hold on for the museum or hold on for their big, uh, you know, exhibit somewhere that's a part of a collection. I could see artists doing that too. I mean, it, it, it really is up to you, but personally, I would say that's not for sale if, if that's, if that's what I would do, or I just wouldn't exhibit it. Yeah. That makes a more uh, logical sense not to just exhibit it or things along that line and everything. For those that are thinking about getting into art, that might be watching and we do, like I said, have a number of folks and some of them are aspiring artists. Some of them are actually, like I said, whether they're my musician friend artists or even visual artists and everything. But for those that are like yourself, wanting to get in the art world, what would you say are some of the primary lessons that you've learned that you would share with others that might want to be artists as well? Lessons, lessons, lessons. Oh, geez. Oh, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, there's so many lessons. Um, let me think. Um, primary, I, I don't. I really. I, I mean, I, I'd say exhibit. I mean, you know, right. put in the time, make your work, find a place to hang your work. Um, be it a, a restaurant, if that's what you want to do, if you just want to sell. I mean, I've seen artists sell out of restaurants. If if you want to just if you want to sell, you know, it might be a festival. Um, it might be um, that sort of thing. Or if you want to, you know, exhibit and, and exhibit and have your exhibits uh, increase, like you want to exhibit at a biennial or you want to exhibit at a museum, you know, to exhibit at a museum, you might have to first go to some place that might not necessarily pay you and then exhibit your way up into better and better venues. And you have to, you know, then apply for the fellowships and apply for the grant and work on your resume and, and build up that whole um, a meritocracy uh, or a meritocratic uh, sort of approach, um, and and so I guess for me, you know, that that's more been my thing is just trying to build up the 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 merit uh, behind my work and 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 you know where have I shown what have I done who have I done it for, um, but now honestly I'm even starting to get into the point where it's just like okay I just want to make big stuff I want to make great work. Um, and so what that means is that I want to go outside and and throw up some big, huge pieces of street art and start doing that. Because now I'm realizing that, you know, public art, there's there's, you know, there's a lot of opportunity in that realm. Now, granted, is that the way to do it? Is that the only way to do it? I don't know. I mean, I know that some street artists have moved into public art and get paid to do public art. And that's great. Um, and and I know that with public art, people want to see that you've already have the experience to do it. Um, but, you know, is there another way to do it? You know, like I said, Darius was painting normal, normal paintings, you know, normal uh, 20 by 20 paintings. And from him proving that he can make the 20 by 20 paintings, somebody was like, OK, we want to give you a mural. So um, there's that. But then there's also assisting people. I know I assisted like Patrick Dogerty and I've assisted. Um, uh, I worked with uh, 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 Stephen Hayes on mm-hmm. the upcoming Black Wall Street Gardens project. Right. Um, and I know that sometimes you got to assist your way up. And so it's to me, it's about a both and, you know, it's, it's not necessarily an either or. It's, a, it's sometimes a both and. 
because we've seen some great public art. I remember there was the whole public art piece that was happening that was related to um, kind of the Black Lives Matter movement. And we definitely saw some great public art that I know a number of our local artists were involved in that were showing pieces around some of the corporations that are in the, um, well, businesses, I won't even call them corporations, but businesses that are in the downtown area and all of that. So I was just wondering your thoughts about that as public art and everything along uh, those lines. And I do know that sometimes the other thing with public art is that sometimes people have this fear that sometimes there's like these calls for public art, but a lot of times the people that get the bids are the big name public artists that are nationally and internationally known. And I know there have even been cases of that here in the Durham area and in the Raleigh area where some of the local artists that could do similar work, whether it was metal work or whether it was a number of other kind of things, were feeling that the city or whatever was going for the more uh, nationally or internationally known folks and everything. So I'd love to hear your thoughts both about the um, murals that we saw, because there were definitely some great murals, and I've actually got some pictures of some of them on my phone and everything, but I was just wondering your thoughts about some of those Black Lives Matter uh, murals that we saw come up after a number of the um, famous uh, cases that were going on with our police and everything along that line, but I'd also love to hear your thoughts about when sometimes our cities decide to go um, outside and don't necessarily look for the talent inside. Uh, yeah, I think the Black Lives Matter murals were great. I mean, I, I really am all for these uh, times or opportunities when uh, you make it so that a lot of people can just make art. I mean, personally, I mean, there, there, are, places, there are places in like uh, Austin, Texas, where they have a graffiti wall or they have just a whole place that's just full of just graffiti. And it's just like a section of town, and that's and it's not a, it's not a section. It's really just like a, a lot, and they have like a, 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 a stuff that's all put up, or or, or or concrete slabs that are put up, and people just go there and they just make art. And to me, I think that's really important to be able to give people the opportunity to. At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks. Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams at 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. You might have noticed a change in your neighborhood lately. Yep, Sprint stores are now T-Mobile stores. Now that Sprint is T-Mobile, you get more coverage, value, and benefits than ever before. We've invested billions to bring our 5G from big cities to small towns across America. And great coverage is just the start. From high-speed mobile hotspot data to weekly deals and giveaways, our customers get tons of great benefits. Head to your new T-Mobile store to learn more. Qualifying service and capable device required. Coverage is not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain planner features. See T-Mobile.com practice and develop skills and to create a piece that then they can speak, take a picture of and then take to the city and be like, Hey, look, I can paint a mural. I just told you I painted a mural. Um, Cause often it's, it's, it's very difficult for the city to uh, uh, give you the, or it's often difficult for you to pass a request for qualifications until you've already done the work. And right. so with that, uh, when it gets into some of these bigger name artists, I mean, I don't know. I, I think I think I think it's once again a both end. I think 
it would be great to have Honest Kapoor come here and give us like another bean or, or something like he did in Chicago or give us a, a whole new original piece. I think that would be great for the culture of the city because he's an international, amazing, uh, world-renowned artist. And I think that what that would do for the city would be would do wonders. But at the same time, you also have to be able to pay the people from the city as well so that the people from the city can do work, so that people from the city can uh, break their bones and, 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 and get onto that uh, larger stage as well. Um, so it's a both and. But the question is, of course, how do you know, how do you spend the budget? Because the budget is limited. And, uh, you know, I leave that to the people uh, handling the public art thing. But it should be should be all about equity or it should be equitable. You know, it should be something that's balanced and 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 not heavily placed in any one area. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And by the way, Kimberly was asking, and I should have addressed that earlier, but she was wanting to know exactly where you were located. And she was also, like I said, she's one of the founders and everything. And she was also saying that she agrees that artists are underappreciated and underpaid. And she was also saying that artists should be uh, paid more value before they die than after they die and all of that. So definitely that's some of her thoughts. And like I said, she is one of the uh, founders of the international broadcast media, which is the platform that we're on here and everything. So definitely glad that she was uh, enjoying our conversation and had some things that she wanted to add as well. So I don't know if you want to let her know where exactly you're located as well as uh, some of your thoughts about what her points were about artists being underappreciated and underpaid. I'm located in Durham, North Carolina, you know, the Bull City or the City of Flowers, as I like to say. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, artists, it's, artists are underappreciated, underpaid. I mean, uh, I, I wish I, I, don't, I really I really don't know why sometimes you make such a, a piece that so many people love. But then when it comes time for somebody putting money up, they're like, oh, well, I don't want to pay this money for it. And I, I just don't understand that disconnect. It's like, well, if you like the piece a lot, why don't you pay money for it? And maybe it's about having the space for it or, or, or maybe you rather have rotating art. But there's something also to be said for owning a piece of art and what that piece of art can do for your, the environment that it sits within and how it can kind of frame that environment and, and what it can do for that space. So, I mean, it's, it's tough. Um, but I also know that sometimes artists are a little bit uh, self-focused and they only make what they're inspired to make. They don't think about what people actually want. And I think that a lot of professional artists have a good balance of what they're interested in and what people want. And I, as, as an artist, I'm, I'm really trying to get gain a better understanding of how to balance those two. Because so often, you know, I can sit down and, and make a piece that's really beautiful, but it's depressing. You know, <laughs> it's like nobody, nobody really wants to own that piece. They might say it's beautiful, but they don't really want to own it. Um, and then other times I make a piece that's just really, really big and, and uh, um, full of a lot of uh, detail. And it's like, okay, well, you know, who wants to hang this? And then other times I make a drawing and now people want to buy the drawing. It's like, okay, well, that's great, but it's only a drawing, you know? <laughs> so it's, 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 it's a strange, strange, strange thing to balance. But I, I do think that as you build up your reputation as an artist, there become more people that are interested in investing in your artwork. Um, so that's, that's really what I'm focused on. And speaking of investing and all of that, uh, Kimberly was also saying that if uh, they can help, and meaning uh, the network and everything, let us know and all the thing, and that she would definitely like to help in any efforts. And I do know that they've been talking about doing shows that are specifically geared toward specific art forms. Like I know that there on one day there is a um, 
show that is focusing on the film industry and that they do with Henry Morales. They've actually been talking about a couple of shows around the book audience and authors and things of that nature. So I'm sure that they would be open to having a show around art and visual arts and all of that. And she also was saying that Andy Warhol figured out, um, how to market for money. And so she was definitely noticing that that's something that Andy did with kind of the way that he went after it with that whole kind of pop art kind of field and everything. But for those that are watching and are including Kimberly and others that might want to see a little bit of your artwork and everything, I was going to bring up that Black Conscious piece, but a couple of your other pieces as well. But we'll start off with uh, Black Conscious since that's got a little bit of audio to it and everything. So any thoughts that you want to share about Black Conscious, I would love to hear that, but I'm going to put this on and let folks check a little bit of Black Consciousness. Oh, you can just play the video if you'd like. I never thought of my life as being woven with despair until I learned via seminar that this is what you call that feeling I had leaning up against my gratitude. And then there came this year a culmination of great reasons to despair, more so than in many recent years, as the FBI confirmed what we suspected was true, that every three or four days, an African-American has been killed by a white police officer, a number likely to be in undercount, as most police jurisdictions don't even report such deaths. Deaths in such great numbers they are in heartbreaking parallel to the rate of violence against African-Americans lynched by whites during the early 20th century. Before I left for Chicago in January, my greatest worries were frostbite and the replacement of headlight missing from my car that my son would be driving, which would give the police a reason to stop him and I could not be complicit in that. And learning about despair this year, I also learned just how much my life is ridiculously woven with hope. Sorry. Go ahead, uh, Calvin. I was just going to say that was that was just an installation um, at, at the Carrick, uh, back when the Carrick was open. Uh, I mean, so, yeah, I work in different forms. You know, I work sometimes big and like, you know, take to take up an entire room as an installation. Sometimes I work in more of an exhibition, uh, you know, individual piece sort of form. Uh, other times I work or and I'm also working on a book um, right now. Um, so, I mean, it, I, I work I work in a whole bunch of different um, ways to hopefully reach different audiences and have exhibits in different places and, and that sort of thing. I mean, I would be happy. I would love to, you know, work with some studios or all that. I mean, I have a studio right here um, in my, in my house, but um, uh, I mean, I'd be happy to, you know, do an exhibit or, or do something like that. I'm always, I'm always interested in that sort of thing. Tell us a little bit about the book. You mentioned that you had a book as well. And I'm sure that the folks that are watching would love to hear about the book as well. So I'd love to hear about the uh, the book that you've got going on. And then I was going to bring up uh, another one of your uh, pieces as well, which is the one about hands, because I know a lot of times folks think about hands and the importance of hands, because we oftentimes are using our hands, um, even though we don't always 
think about the fact that we are using them on a constant basis. But definitely tell us about the book before I bring up the video about hands. Uh, so, I mean, the book is called Tree Book. And, I mean, as you know, as everyone knows, you know, uh, uh, trees uh, make books or paper comes from trees. Um, and there's this idea called triple O theory, which is it goes into this uh, notion that everything is always transforming. It always goes from one form into another form into another form. So as a form of uh, uh, social justice or environmental justice, I'm interested in uh, preventing deforestation and desertification uh, and to uh, lower the CO2 emissions that are going on in the, you know, in the world that are, you know, ruining the, the ozone. And um, essentially, uh, with each book that's purchased, um, I'll be planting seven trees or I'll be donating to a company that's planting seven trees. Um, and each page inside the book is a drawing of a tree that I just, you know, I, I took two years and I just spent time just drawing all these trees. And um, I've then gone and maxed up the drawings with quotes from famous people talking about trees and, and just giving little bits of wisdom about trees. And uh, that's, that's pretty much the book. Um, I'm talking to a publisher right now about it. Uh, and I don't know, it should come out sometime this year, sometime later this year. Sounds great. And before I bring it up and everything, tell folks a little bit about hands as well. Because like I said, I know that that's something that is uh, can actually be a very difficult thing to draw as well. And Kimberly actually made that point that our hands can actually be something that is not that easy to draw and all of that. And actually, before we even get to hands and everything, that's something that I'm oftentimes wondering about is that sometimes um, there are some folks that think that everybody can necessarily um, draw that. And there are some other folks that feel that it's a more um, defined talent and then not everybody can draw. It's kind of like some people that think that everybody can sing and I necessarily don't buy that because I know that I sing very flat. But definitely when you see a lot of folks going to like the arts councils and the places around the world that are oftentimes doing kind of the potted drawings and kind of encouraging folks to draw on a, on a regular basis, is art something that you think that everybody can do on one level or another, or is it something that you think is a more defined talent that only a select few are able to truly have that true gift of artistic talent in terms of visual arts and drawing and all of that? I think making art is about whether or not you want to do it. I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I think if you want to do it, then you probably can do it. Um, I think that there are different skills that you can learn to allow you to do certain things within making art. But generally, um, there's this guy named John Debuffet or J John Debuff, who says when, when talking about beauty, he says, I don't know if beauty exists. I've never seen an ugly object. And he goes and he starts looking at a lot of the more tribal societies. And what he says is, is that um, within their art form, you know, people are just expressing and they're just making things. And there's just so much beauty in this. And so for me, I come at it more from this sort of expressionist uh, point of view. And I'm interested in what I might use myself as a medium and as a process artist to create. Because I feel like given my culture, my heritage, I mean, that's just what I'm interested in. But granted, I mean, skills, you know, that's there's no skills that's, you know, saying this skill means that you are representing this culture that no the skill is a skill and if you want to learn how to do this and you learn how to do it and I think that you know a skill I mean 
you can read a book and learn a skill. You know, you can take a class and learn a skill. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's all about what you want to do. And I think anybody can learn how to learn how to learn a skill. Um, but I think that not everybody wants to make art. And I think it's about having that desire to make art and then having that commitment to making art because to live your life as an artist is not always the easiest thing to do. You know, so like, do you get up? And when you get up, do you want to make art or do you not want to make art? And I think it's as simple as that. Yeah, and one of the other things that I know that the really good artists do is they try to find a way to differentiate themselves. Because like I said, there can be thousands, if not tens of thousands of potters, but, um, and I'm just using pottery as an example, but it's the truly... Uh, gifted potters that are able to give it a different feel than, say, the standard pot that your grade school kid may make or that somebody may make in an art class, but they find a way to make it a little bit more um, fine-tuned in the kind of like giving it a more of a intrinsic value and everything that makes it a little bit different when there's when you have something that is so common. And I'm just using pottery as an example. I could also use those folks to do those fruit paintings and all of that. But those that do a, kind of like find a way to make it different and to stand out are the ones that seem to me to be the uh, the better artists in that sense. Well, I mean, I, I can't I can't pass a judgment on an artist. I mean, if you want to make a perfect, if you're interested in making that perfectly round bowl and you want to spend your life making 10,000 perfectly round bowls, I mean, then when you go to exhibit these 10,000 perfectly round bowls, you might have a beautiful exhibit, you know, right. or, or if you make fruit drawings and, and that's all you do. I mean, you might have a beautiful, a beautiful exhibit as well. It's all about what you to me, it's all about what you're inspired to do. Um, and, you know, if, if you're a type of person who didn't want to learn any skills and you just are just clump and play around, as long as you do it enough, as long as you do it, you know, you got to do it. You got to commit to it. If you just make one, so what? You know, okay, I guess it's cool, but are we going to say it's genius? I mean, who knows? I, well, probably not. I mean, I, often it takes either the scale, you know, the amount or the size for right. you to really begin to uh, start developing your own voice and your own character and your own interest. At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams of 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. You might have noticed a change in your neighborhood lately. Yep, Sprint stores are now T-Mobile stores. Now that Sprint is T-Mobile, you get more coverage, value, and benefits than ever before. We've invested billions to bring our 5G from big cities to small towns across America. And great coverage is just the start. From high-speed mobile hotspot data to weekly deals and giveaways, our customers get tons of great benefits. Head to your new T-Mobile store to learn more. Qualifying service and capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See T-Mobile.com. In, in your own focus and what it is that you're really doing. Um, but, I mean, I, I think, like I said, I really, to me, it's really more so about the willingness to make it because, I mean, there's so much art out there that yeah. so much of it you'll look at and be like, huh, this is art? This is nothing but a box. This is nothing but a steel box. You know, one of my favorite artists, Donald Judd, you know, he filled a room up with steel boxes and he's talking about non-objective or non-subjective art. You know, it's like, wait, what are you talking about? You know, but no, it's, it's, it's also beautiful. He has a whole town in Texas called Marfa 
where he's filled up his this space with different installations that he's created and he left and and now people go travel from all over the world to see this room full of steel boxes and it's and when they look at it they may look at how the light reflects off the steel boxes and now there are artists you know even in durham who have been impacted by donald judd's work and you go outside the durham art guild and you see these boxes and it's like you know donald judd inspired that work you know but now this person is doing it a little bit different you know and so we're all learning from each other and we're all experimenting and we're all just making stuff but i wouldn't i wouldn't say either that they Tough, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say either that the child is 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 no good either. But I would say that the child, you know, probably has a little bit more things that they have to make if if you want me to take it seriously, because anybody can can make anything, but it's really about committing yourself and really and really making and then what makes what makes art really great, what makes art really excellent? I mean I mean sometimes it's there's so many things. Sometimes it's cultural. Sometimes we're looking at something and we see ourselves in it. And because we see ourselves in it, we're like, oh, yeah, I love that. You know, that that represents me. And for the artist to even have that intuition or that knowledge to go there to 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 make us see ourselves in it. I mean, sometimes that's brilliant. Sometimes it's, you know, somebody like Jeff Koons just doing taking a, 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 a blow up a, a dog and then turning that into a steel object. And now the fact that it's made out of steel instead of it being made out of a balloon, all of a sudden we're regarding it with so much more higher regard because of the materiality of it. You know, so I mean, there's so many strange, strange things that go with art. Sometimes it's just somebody throwing paint at the wall. You know, a kid can't do that. A kid can definitely throw paint at the wall. But the person who came up with it, maybe they were a little bit more original. And maybe that person who came up with it didn't just do it one time. Maybe they did it a number of times. Uh, when you look at Jackson Pollock's, he calls them numbered, they're numbered pieces because right. he did it a number of times. And by him doing it over time and by doing it at such a great scale, when you when I saw Jackson Pollock, for me, I mean, my mind was blown because it, it took up the whole room and it made me feel something. Now, could anybody do it? Probably. And have people done it since? Yes. But the thing about it is that because Jackson Pollock did it first, everybody who does it since is just doing a Jackson Pollock. You know, so being able to come up with your own voice, being able to make your own art and, and being able to understand what it, what it means to, to, to make your art. I mean, that sometimes is the task of the more mature artists to figure out what is my art, what interests me, what have my life experiences brought me here to create and now bring to the rest of the world to experience. And it just by bringing and creating experiences for people alone, you know, there's, there's value to that. Oh, yeah, because one of the greatest artists, and actually Kimberly actually had alluded to him earlier and everything, and I actually have a great deal of admiration for what he did. But you're right, um, it was just a case of him finding common items and all of that. And some people might look at Andy Warhol's art and be like, it's a can of Campbell's soup. What's yeah. really artistic about that and everything? But the way that he got that message out, because he was creating, uh, in my mind, a message about our society and using that object as a way to make that message as an artistic uh, statement and all. But a lot of folks that are just looking at it, they might be like, it's just a can of Campbell's soup. But that's just one of his um, art pieces in that whole pop art field. But there were a number of other ones. I'm just using the Campbell's soup iconic piece as a primary example. But a lot of folks might be sitting there going like, 
I don't get it. It's just a can of soup that I probably got in my own cabinet and everything. But that, but then that's the whole thing is that he saw the can of soup and saw how that could be a populist object that he right. could then turn into a form of art because before he did it, it was just a can of soup. But after he did it, it was a work of art, you know, and, and that that's, I mean, to, to look at something and to turn it into a work of art, I mean, that's that's the role of the artist. Because before that, it was just a can of soup, you know, and and, and that's, you know, and then now what, what happens now when we see cans of soup, we always think of Andy Warhol. We always revere them in a little bit of a different way. And we can appreciate them in a little bit of a different way than we might not have before. And that's, I mean, that's that's wonderful. I mean, that's brilliant. That's That's what it's all about. No, I definitely agree with you on that. And um, you had actually mentioned another thing that I know used to be really popular. Actually, my dad, Jim, used to take me to a couple of them and everything. But I remember there was a time before the pandemic that makers exhibits were very popular. And I guess they're still popular, but not as much now because of the pandemic. And you got to have a big space and there's a whole kind of like made objects, whether that's um, robotic made objects or whether that's other kind of made objects that are all part of the makers community. But who knew that that would have been as big of a trend as it was before the pandemic. Because I do know that before the pandemic, a lot of folks would go to an entire maker's event. They might find a storefront that was um, empty and use that as the space, as the exhibit space. But those exhibits were very popular for a number of years. And I'm hoping that after the pandemic, we'll see more of those kind of exhibits. But I do know that they were very popular and a lot of folks probably weren't even thinking that they were going to take off the way that they did. Yeah, that that work is awesome. I mean, that goes back to that steam idea. You know, it's once you have the sciences mixed with the arts, and once you have technology mixed with the arts, all of a sudden you're making these these things that that are just like from the future. You know, this is what it's what it, it, it it's it's all great. But you know, once again, in the arts, you can't only say this is all there is. You know, you also need the other stuff too. So it's all about that. You know, push and pull, and and it's all great. It's all great. What do you think is the role of the artist in society, whether it's to make statements, whether it's to do a number of other things? There have been some great people in history. I know Socrates and Plato and a number of others thought that they had an idea of what the artist's role in society was. But in Calvin's mind, what do you see as the role of art and artists in society? Uh, I think artists have many roles. Um, but I mean, I, to me, I mean, really, it's it's mostly creating experiences. It's uh, transferring culture. It's um, uh, what else? It's uh, questioning, 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 questioning. You know, looking at things and turning them on their head. It's uh, memorializing. You know, because you know, when something passes away, you can document. Uh, and all sometimes, all you need to do is just document things, and you're making art. You know, because you're you're taking something and, and turning it into a different form or giving it, providing a new experience of it. Um, so I think the artist has many roles. Um, and it, it, you know, that's, that's almost as tough of a question as asking what's art, you know, right. it's like, I, I really don't know, but I know that it's a lot of different things. And that, and you're right. It is a hard thing to define even what is art and everything. I know that there was that famous quote about one of the uh, musicians and everything when somebody was trying to get him to define good music. And I think his kind of attitude was that he didn't know how to define it, but he knew it when he heard it. And I don't remember yeah. whether it was John Coltrane or Miles or one of those other famous jazz musicians, but he was, somebody was trying to get him to define what that was. And he was like, you know, he couldn't really give it a definition, but I want to say either he or another one of those great ones also didn't necessarily like to be identified by 
one style or another. Like a lot of jazz musicians will also tell you that they love doing pop work or doing gospel work or doing a number of other forms as well. And I would say the same thing for most great artists that I know, that a lot of the great artists that I know are involved in a number of fields. They may be seen as primarily a painter, but then they may dabble in sculpture or they may be seen primarily as a installation artist, but then they may dabble in um, another form of the visual art field or whatever. And some of them might even go outside of the visual art field and dabble in the uh, performing arts as well. So definitely I was wondering, is that something that you try to do is that you try to um, expand your artistic horizons and do a variety of styles? Cause like I said, I know that you've done these pieces, like we're going to show the hands piece and everything, which is done on video and the other one that we showed about black consciousness, but then you have some more of the more traditional kind of pieces. And then you've got, public art and all of that. So um, how important do you think it is for you, Calvin, to be involved in a lot of different styles of art? Uh, I think it, to me personally, with my own practice, with my own, own interests, I, I think it's very important. I mean, I think they all relate. I'm, I'm interested in a sort of unified field theory about making things. Um, so if I'm, once again, it's that assemblage approach, you know, whether I'm sampling or whether I'm documenting or whether I'm, uh, uh, picking up trash or picking up seashells or picking up sticks. You know, it's, it's all sort of trying to, to just learn how to create. So once again, I said, you know, I started out with drawing, but then from drawing, you know, drawing is the root of painting. And so from painting, I'm, I'm learning about color and I'm learning and I'm just learning how to create space, uh, with, with paint. But then I move into sculpture and I realize, wait a minute, a painting is a sculpture. Um, and then, you know, with sculpture, it's okay. Now, wait a minute. It's about the space around the sculpture. And then it's like, okay, now wait a minute. You know, you can use many different objects, bring them together. And now you're making something that might be a two dimensional or three dimensional sort of painting, but it's also kind of like a sculpture. Um, and then, you know, moving into, you know, video, it's once again, just sampling and, and doing some of the same sort of work. Um, so to me, I mean, I, I'm interested in all art. I'm interested. I, I, I love it all. Um, and, I'm, and I would like to be able to, to, to move between all of it. But yeah, I know I'm also, you know, I'm also kind of young. Uh, so maybe as I get older, I'll, I'll, I'll begin to focus more on this or focus more on this for a longer period of time. Right now I'm working with cardboard. Um, but I mean, I've got some shows coming up where I got to make more masks and I got some shows coming up where... I got to create an installation. Um, so it's, once again, it's all sort of uh, connected in my mind. Um, and I just want to learn how to make, make. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How, how do you find it able to survive with your art? Because as long as I've known you, you seem to be doing a good job of making it as an artist in terms of like day-to-day -day survival and all of that and everything. But I do know that it can be very difficult. And a lot of times artists wind up having to go get that day gig, which can then interfere with the artwork and not have them achieve as much as they would like to do. So how important do you think it is for you to uh, have that um, kind of autonomy or do you even have a day job? And if so, if so, does that interfere with the artwork that you would like to do and everything? Because I know even with the stuff that I do, I sometimes do have to go back to measurement or I have to go and do my work at Haytai, and it may not necessarily be doing the media work or the special events kind of stuff that I have a great passion for and everything, but at the end of the day, you've got to pay the bill. So a lot of times that's what artists have to deal with and everything. So I was just wondering 
how do you survive as an artist and do you actually find yourself having to do that whole day job kind of relationship that so many of our artists, whether they're visual artists, whether they're performing artists, whether they're a number of the other art styles wind up having to go into, but then sometimes impacts their artwork. Yeah, I mean, I think the day job thing gets into the revenue thing. I mean, it gets into the business thing. I mean, you got to have the revenue coming in to be able to support the thing that you want to do until the thing that you want to do can take off or until you can, uh, you know, just keep, so you can just keep doing it. Um, and I, and I, and I think that's really important. That doesn't mean that you're not an artist. I mean, I've, I've also been homeless. I've also decided to give myself a year where I would sleep on the streets and just only make art. And <laughs> I mean, that, I mean, and I learned all about that too, you know, and after that, it's like, okay, well, you got to work uh, or I got to work. Um, or if I don't want to work, then I got to, you know, paint landscapes and that's it. You know, it's like, well, I don't want to paint landscapes and that's it. I want to, you know, do some of these other things. And so um, to be able to do what I want to do, I, I think it's important to figure out a way to support it. And once you support your own stuff, then you're more likely to get other people to want to support your stuff too. Or at least that's what one business uh, lady once told me. Um, you got to be willing to support your stuff first. Um, and that's, I think I, I find truth in that because through supporting my own art, I've been able to get grants that have been able to allow me to go out there and make more art. The problem with me is that I'll get the grant and then I'll stop, I'll stop working. It's like, no, you got to get the grant. You got to keep on working, you know, but the question of course is, you know, do you have the time to work or do you have the energy to work or are you tired or are you, uh, just burnt out and you want to just kick back? Um, and, and that's very real too, but I think that's the challenge. I mean, if you're an artist, you got to figure it out. Uh, maybe that means, you know, you, 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 you do part-time or maybe that means you, you take some time off, or maybe that means you find a, a type of job that you can, that you can do now and then, and then, you know, walk away from, or maybe that means right. that, you, that you work five hours a day instead of 10 hours a day, or, or you know, so you got to figure it out. Um, but definitely having that revenue, what I'm beginning to realize that revenue is what allows you then to put money into your art and then you can have your money help make your art instead of having to put so much labor into your art. Now all of a sudden you can hire some people to help make your art or you can hire the right tools or you can hire the right material or you can go buy the right materials. And now you're working fast, you know, and it's like, wait, this used to take me, you know, months to make this and I'm making this in a day, you know? <laughs> and right. so there's, there's, the revenue is very important. And how much do you think it is important to, because you're not the first person I've talked to that has gone through some hard times. Actually, a friend of mine that just recently moved back to Durham, who is a motivational speaker and a comedian, also talks about the fact that he also was in, I want to say Detroit, after he had moved from Raleigh and spent some time in uh, being homeless and all of that. And I know that even uh, myself has had some moments of semi-hardship, uh, uh, whether that's uh, – financial hardship or a number of other hardships that may exist or whatever, but how um, much do you think it is important or vital for the artist to have some sort of pain involved in their life in order to be successful? Because I've heard that from a couple of artists, including some famous artists, that they felt that they had to have a little bit of that um, negativity, whether it was relationship negativity, whether it was what you went through, what my friend Dino went through in the sense of being homelessness homeless or whatever, or whether it's a number of other things, but it's kind of that yin and yang that a lot of times I feel artists feel that they need in order to create. How much of that do you feel um, drives your artwork, I guess is what I'm asking. 
Well, I've, I've found that it's driven my artwork, but I found that sometimes the subjects that appear are, are, are kind of sad, you know, and I don't always want to make sad work, but if I'm using myself as a medium, then sometimes that sad work is what's going to come out if I'm experiencing hardship. So, I mean, I, I, I think, I think the suffering is only as important as, you know, going out there and, and eat, eating that frog is important, you know, going out there and, and, and getting up and, you know, taking that five mile walk so that you can have the energy to then go out there and, and focus on, on and do, do what you need to do. Um, so, I mean, you know, life is suffering no matter which way you flip it. Life is suffering if you're doing only what you want to do. Life is suffering if you're going out there and, and not doing what you want to do. But um, you got to figure out a way to become grateful and, 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 and to take care of what you need to take care of in order to get a little bit past that suffering. Or at least this is what I'm learning as I'm going through things. And another thing that I was wondering, because we have Cara who's been on the show and she's out of Ohio and she actually does this whole thing about health and wellness and nutrition and all of that. And I do sometimes think that because we're so focused on our art and so focused on everything else that we sometimes leave out the important things that we need to also have as part of our life as well, whether that's um, emotional growth, whether that's spiritual growth, whether that's even kind of like doing the exercise aspect of life and things of that nature. So how important is, as an artist you find it is for you, Calvin, to be well-rounded? Because I know that a lot of times we as artists, as just creative people, will sometimes let other parts of our life get sidetracked and not spend as much time as we probably should on them and everything. I know I've even had this conversation with a friend of mine who is a punk musician and is now getting back into an exercise regimen and even kind of a diet regimen. But I was just wondering how important do you think it is for us to incorporate all of the aspects of us, whether that's spiritual, emotional, mental, but all of the aspects of the human person. I think it's very important. I mean, in order to have a, a peaceful mind, um, I mean, in my life, I've been very imbalanced. I mean, I've always done all this or all of that. And um, I mean, I've been able to make art, but sometimes in here has not been good. Um, and what I'm realizing is, is just how important balance is. Now, the question is, is, what is balance? You know, how do you even figure out balance? And sometimes you have to experience the imbalance to figure out what balance is for you. Um, and, and I think that's just a process that, you know, you, you work on for yourself as you live your life. And um, that's all you can do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And like I said, I did want folks to check out Hands, and I want to bring up some of the other pieces as well that aren't just strictly the video ones. But as I get ready to do that right now and everything, and get ready to do another one of those lovely shared screens, which we can do on uh, StreamYard and everything, if you want to share a little bit about Hands and what Hands is all about and the importance of Hands in your work, because definitely Hands is an important aspect of what we do just in general. So I'd love to hear your thoughts about the Hands piece as well. Yeah, I mean, so with hands, there's, you know, we speak with our hands, we work with our hands, we uh, do so much with our hands. I was wondering about uh, the way that we might look at somebody's hands and consider their identity rather than looking at their faces and consider their identity. Um, but hands, I mean, I, I feel like hands, we often don't look at our hands, but uh, our hands are so important. I mean, our hands do so much. Um, so honestly, as an artist, I was just inspired to document a bunch of people's hands and that was pretty much it. Um, there wasn't too much thought beyond that, but um, I was inspired um, by, you know, personally working with my hands and just thinking about how, well, everybody works with their hands, you know, no matter what you do. 
Um, even if you're working with your mind, you're probably working with your hands unless unless your hands don't work, you know, in which case then then you're figuring out a way to live in a whole other way. And that's, you know, amazing as well. Um, but then to look at those hands, those hands would probably look very different um, or maybe those hands wouldn't exist at all. Um, so hands to me was just uh, I was just inspired to, to document hands. And it was actually what, what maybe my first video piece that I did. And I was just interested in 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 hands. And that was it. All right. Well, we're going to let folks check out a little bit about what Hands is all about. I think that folks will find this to be interesting as well. So you're going to bring that up on the screen and let folks check out a little bit about the Hands exhibit as well. So definitely this should be interesting also. Oops. Wow. Amazing. What would you say is one of your favorite pieces and everything? Like I said, we just saw hands and like I said, I'll bring up some of the more other kind of artwork, not just the video types, but what is, would you say are some of your personal favorites from Calvin Brett's collection of artwork of different sorts, whether it's the flowers piece, whether it's black conscious, which I know are more of the video versions. And of course you've got one that's about driving and those are more the video Vimeo types, but of course there's other artwork that you've done as well. So if you had to define one of your favorite pieces, what would it be? Uh, I like the assemblage work. I like the growth and the fool's gold. Um, I like the masks also. Um, I also like, um, I mean, I, I just, I've started covering cardboard or trees with cardboard and um, using seed tape so that as the trees decay and as the cardboard decays, the seeds will then plant themselves in the environment and go and sprout flowers. Um, and that's my most recent work. And I, I'm really excited about that sort of stuff. Um, but that's more of the public stuff. 
Um, but I mean, I also like some of my old paintings. You know, I, I look back on some of my paintings and I'm like, wow, I can't believe I painted like that. Um, and I mean, they're, they're just basic paintings. Um, but for me, just thinking that I made something like that, it, sometimes it's, it's, it's just, I really like them. Um, I like Squiddy Lies Hypnotize. I like uh, Here Comes the Sun. Um, yeah, you've, had some, you've had some great paintings, and actually I was going to bring up some of those paintings because, of course, you can go to the website, calvinbrett.com, and see a number of your works and everything. So I was actually going to bring up uh, one of the uh, painting pieces from underneath uh, the painting piece, and, of course, you've got your various street arts because you've got this one piece that is very colorful, and it looks like a very tall mushroom. So that's the best way I can describe it, and it's right there on the first part of the page. So if you know the piece that I'm talking about, if you can uh, describe what that's all about, because I know when I looked at it, I was like, wow, that looks like almost like big giant mushrooms and everything. Yeah, that's called The Land of Enchantment. I made that when I was in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I actually made that when I was homeless, um, just painting on the street. But it was a commission, and um, I painted it, and I sold it, and I went and bought a truck. And then I started living out of my truck. <laughs> so, I mean, it was a bit of an adventure. Um, but, um, good experience. I don't, I don't regret hard times. I mean, I, I look back on it in the moment. They're tif difficult, but in the retrospect, they're good memories. So, I mean, as long as you get through them, uh, that's all that matters. And if you can make art while doing it, you know, then maybe you, you leave with something. That makes a lot of sense and everything. Cause definitely folks can see, um, what the piece is all about. And all of that, and like I said, well, how many cities have you lived in and everything? Because you mentioned that you lived in, of course, Durham right now, but you were in Santa Fe and a number of other places. So how many places have you lived at? And has it been, because Santa Fe would be New Mexico, so that would be like out there heading toward the West Coast. And then, of course, you're here in Durham. So how many places have you lived at? And is uh, Durham home for you? Or were you born in another part of our great country? Uh, so I've, I made, I maybe lived in seven different parts of the country. Um, but I would consider Durham to be home at this point. I've lived in Durham longer than anywhere else, but I was born in Brooklyn, New York. So I'd say that's where my heart is. <laughs> um, but Durham is definitely home. Durham is definitely home now and everything. I was going to bring up a little bit of assemblage as well. So folks might be interested in seeing what assemblage is about as well. So tell the folks a little bit about assemblage and I'll cut to a couple of the pieces within assemblage. Like this one looks like almost like uh, some plant kind of stuff going on and everything. But I know that there are other pictures that go with it. So what is the whole assemblage uh, art piece about? Uh, well, so that, that that uh that piece was called grace that first piece um and pretty much i mean it was it was just thinking about time as being the ultimate form of grace i took my uh bed frame that i had before i moved out of my mom's house and i took all my clothes and cut them up and and all the clothes that wouldn't fit into the backpack into my backpack and i cut them up and then i tied them onto the bed frame and and started painting and painting and painting and Eventually, that's what came out. Um, and all I would say to myself was grace. Every time I thought, you know, words, I'd say to myself, grace, 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 grace. Um, and that's and that's just what came out. It looks like a lot of these pieces um, definitely have some interesting imagery that go with them. I saw one that even had, looks like the American flag tied into it and everything. So, But this was all part of what seems to be the assemblage uh, 
kind of category of these artworks and everything. So was this all part of that same piece where you had cut up your bed frame? Oh, no. So I, assemblage is just the style of work. Um, okay. and each piece is its own piece. Um, I, I, I guess I need to put the titles of each piece on there because each piece is a different piece. Um, but it's kind of like a collection of, of work I've done in the assemblage medium. Gotcha. Well, this one looks quite interesting. It looks like you were using a lot of different objects within one piece. And I definitely am a found, fan of found art. And it looks like there might be some found art within that. So share a little bit about this particular piece, because I'm seeing like some different items within here. And it looks like some different kind of uh, drawings and everything. Yeah, I mean, that's I call that piece Pink Hurricane. I, what I did was I took all the cups and all the bottles and all the supplies that were on my studio floor and I just decided to turn into a piece of art um and um yeah that's that's what I came up with (laughs) childhood is wanting a variety of different baked sweets and someone telling you no adulthood is wanting a variety of different baked sweets and being able to go right to Mickey D's to get every single one you want Whenever you want. Get the new glazed pull-apart donut and a 99 cents any-sized iced coffee with pumpkin spice flavor. Sweet. Prices and participation may vary. Limited time only. Iced coffee promo available until 11 a.m. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Life gets more magical when you dream. So dream of a Disney cruise filled with magic and wonder. (laughs) Hiya, pal! Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line. Oh, well, these are, like I said, some amazing works that folks can check out and everything. I was going to give them a little bit of the painting because I know you can go into the painting category as well. Tell folks a little bit about this because this looks like some more found artwork because it looks like you had different things in this one as well. So was this part of things that you found on your furniture floor as, or on your floor as well? Or is this uh, from another piece? Because I'm even seeing like a toy soldier on you know, yeah, one part of it. A lot of this stuff was found as well, as far as uh, being uh, the supplies that I was working with uh, when I was painting. Um, but uh, I call this piece "Masked Elephant," so there's like a, it's kind of like an elephant in there. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's very abstract, very very abstract. Um, but I mean, it is what it is. Um, I was just having fun with it. And it sounds like some great fun that you were having and everything. And definitely looks like some amazing pieces on that. I was going to let folks check a little bit of the paintings as well. That was part of the assemblage category. So let's see a little bit of the painting categories. And I'll pull up a couple of those, like I said. You said. So this is one of the painting categories. What is this one called? It looks like it has some body parts in it because I'm seeing nostrils and I'm seeing a mouth. And it's incorporated into something else as well. So it looks like a face, but I'm not sure what the faces in the middle of. Yeah, I call it Mao. Um, it's just the face. Um, I mean, I guess it's kind of a bloody face. Uh, my friend, uh, Malcolm, uh, he, when I first saw him, he had like a, a he had like a, a, a swollen lip and he had a bloody nose and a bloody face. And so, I mean, that he owns that piece right now. Um, and he gave me a computer in exchange for the piece. Um, oh, wow. so, yeah, so he kind of inspired me to make it. And uh, sometimes you get inspired not just by what's going on in your life, but what's going on in your friends' lives as well. And I guess he's able to identify or to come to terms with whatever gave him the bloody nose because he wanted to get the piece himself and have it as part of his collection. So 
whatever that was about in his life, he's at least come to terms with it. Yeah. What is this piece all about? Because this looks very colorful and it looks very interesting as well. It looks like there's some different uh, kind of colors being represented in this one as well. Yeah, I mean, this piece was a little bit confusing, honestly. I mean, uh, uh, I don't know if I should go into this piece. <laughs> uh, okay, well, we'll leave that one alone, and we'll let people have their imaginations. It sounds like that might be something that they need to have a private conversation with you about, because it might have some more personal kind of details and everything. And, you know, and honestly, with all this stuff, I mean, that's that's the goal. I mean, I, I, I have my interpretation of it, but... Um, anybody to look at the piece, you know, the, the, the art, I mean, the goal is that, you know, the viewer really completes the work. Um, I only, I'm only inspired to do what I'm inspired to do, but if somebody connects to it, then, then that's cool. I'm going to bring up one more of the pieces and everything out of the painting category, but do you ever have any of those cases where you might have one vision of what the artwork is about, but then when you're a person that buys the artwork or you're talking to the artist, that they have a totally different view of what you may have created and everything, but as you just said, it works for them. So like I said, I know that a lot of times as kids, I remember us looking at clouds and we might see you know, somebody might look at one cloud and see a spaceship and somebody else might look at those same clouds and see a uh, 17th century sailing boat. But, you know, they're both looking at the same clouds. They're just seeing different imagery. So as both the artist as well as the fan of the art, do you ever have those conversations when you're talking to uh, your uh, patrons or when you're talking to friends of yours where you're thinking that the art is representing one thing, but they're telling you that they see something totally different in the artwork? Uh, it's it's kind of interesting, honestly. I mean, often when I let people talk about what they see in the art, they'll end up describing what the heart of that I was trying to get to when making the, the piece. Uh, they end up describing the essence. Um, and I find that to be fascinating. When I then, but if I then go and describe the art, sometimes people will be turned off. So I find that there are multiple types of people. Some people want to know what it means. Some people want to make their own meaning. And some people just don't care. They just want to look at it. Um, so I, it really depends on who I'm talking with. Um, so sometimes I do come across that, but, um, it really depends on the person. Gotcha. Now I'm not going to go through all the different categories, but you did have a couple of them that I found really interesting. And I just wanted you to share a little bit about them. We've gone through some of the different categories. Of course, you've got packaging space, which we alluded to earlier and um the shag room i may let them folks go to the shag room themselves and check what that's all about but i did want to get to black space and to you had mentioned packaging space and i know a lot of folks are thinking about because of the nature of what's going on in the world and who is a laborer and who isn't a laborer about general labor so i'd like to hear your thoughts about um general labor and we'll pull up some of those pieces as well as um definitely uh, black space and packaging space, but we'll start off with general labor. So what was general labor all about? Cause I know a lot of times when people think of labor, they think of like labor in the sense of work, but that might not have been what you were talking about when you were doing general labor. Yeah. So, I mean, general labor, uh, I mean, it meant, it meant multiple things. It was a double entendre. I mean, on one hand, it was about doing a variety type of work instead of just focusing on painting or, assemblage there was some sound there was some video there was some assemblage and there was a little bit of, it, of installation involved um but it was also about the value of of labor the value of of just 
going down there and, and doing work and, and, and increasing the value of labor. Um, and it was also about how when making art, sometimes all it takes is for one to have a no mind sort of attitude and to just, just focus and to just put things together. And that's all it takes. Now, sometimes people want to hear it takes more than that, but it really doesn't. Sometimes it's all about arranging objects and, and that's it. And by arranging objects, you make agglomerated forms and agglomerated forms are considered interesting and, and beautiful. Um, and so it's about the value of, of labor as work. Um, but then it's also about thinking about um, picking up trash and, mm -hmm. and um, turning this trash into art. Um, and so there's found objects, but there's uh, one of the things that I did was I would go out into certain sites uh, where people had littered like all this plastic or whatever, and I would clean it up. Like all that plastic right there came from 15501. Um, oh, wow. Littered all like, like they just dumped all these gloves, all these plastic gloves on 15501, and I just went out there one day and picked it up and decided to tie it together and turn it into that. You know, which to me it was a massive plastic bag, which might symbolize the picking up of of that plastic. Um, but I mean, in this this was all from pieces of a car crash, but. To me, uh, at this time, I was gardening in my day job. And so to me, it was all about, once again, turning this trash into flowers or turning the debris into a flowering form. Um, and so, yeah, there's some just pieces from car. There's a light from a car. on there and there's um do you ever get concerned about your own um because like i said you're talking about picking up items from the cars you're talking about picking up gloves out on a major highway and everything do you ever worry about uh, or get concerned about your own safety because like i said i'm thinking about some of these items are not exactly less than rugged they're jagged and things of that nature and of course we do know that with health concerns there's all kinds of junk that people might be doing and like this one has got a bunch of cans who knows what those folks have been drinking everything so just do you ever worry about your own safety when you're doing these found object kind of pieces i wear gloves i mean i i've i've worked in maintenance you know i've worked picking up trash so i mean i i'm generally i got boots and gloves and i've got all the all the tools to go out there and, and do the work um so i'm not i'm really not nervous um when when dealing with this stuff um, I mean, I will say uh, with doing some of the street art, I have an orange hat on, you know, because sometimes I'm out in the forest and I'm working with cardboard and I don't want to get shot. So I'd say I've, I've definitely been on edge because um, even one time a guy walked behind me with an assault rifle uh, when I was out there in the forest. And that kind of made me a little bit nervous. Um, but it's kind of like, you know, I got my orange on and I'm not hurting anybody. so. You know, hopefully, hopefully people are all right. Although these days, you never know. So I've I've had to be a little bit more careful. 
Yeah, definitely. Tell us a little bit about this piece. I'm seeing a light can and I'm seeing what looks like some other, uh, well, I'm not sure if they're all alcoholic items or if they're alcohol plus sodas, but definitely I'm seeing what looks like a sardine can. So and I see a yingling can. So I know there's at least a few beer cans in there. I'm just not sure if there are other things other than the beer and um, what I imagine is a sardine can, but it definitely looks like there may be some sodas in there, but tell me a little bit about this particular piece. So this is just a lump. I mean, that's all it is, but it's by taking a pile of trash and putting it in a gallery, how do we then respond to it? You know, what do we, are we then inspired to pick up trash? Are we then inspired to um, uh, like, what, like what, what do we, what do we then consider? But then on top of that, by it being, um, all metallic items by 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 being separated into this form. To me, it was a perfect form. To me, I saw that as being beautiful. Um, now I know others might not, but to me, as just the form, I thought it was an interesting looking form. Now, would somebody want to buy that? Probably not. That was more of a conceptual, you know, experimental type of work. Um, but by then placing it on top of a pallet, it then kind of completes the cycle of all these things arrived on a pallet at first and then somebody went and drank the contents. Now I'm putting it back on a pallet and exhibiting it as uh, what was gathered in the environment and re being represented to people as this is all the stuff that came out of uh, a neighborhood that people did not, where people didn't pick up their trash or really they didn't have the services to pick up their trash. They didn't have the trash cans available to throw their trash. Um, and so as a result, all this stuff was, was out in the environment. Now, there's an old expression that one person's art is another person's trash or something along those lines and everything. Has there ever been a case where you have, if you just mentioned this particular piece, but has there ever been a case where there was a, a art piece that you created and you thought nobody and would ever think about buying it and they actually surprised you and they actually did go ahead and buy it? Like you said, it, probably nobody would buy this piece and everything. But I just wonder, as an artist, have there been cases where you had a piece like this that you thought nobody would buy and some patron or some fan came along and they're like, I want that? Actually, yes. I mean, that piece, Masked Elephant, that uh, that one with the orange and the, and the army soldier guy and all that stuff. I mean, that somebody bought that piece and I was not expecting they were going to do that, but somebody did. Um, and I was, I was very surprised. Um, but you know, I guess it happens. I mean, people look at that and maybe for him, uh, I know that there's some people who mask or, 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 or they keep abstract elephants in their house because it represents them as, you know, being supporters of Republicans or something like that. So maybe for him, you know, it was a way for him to have something that looked like an elephant that nobody would assume was an elephant when they first looked, walked on it. Or maybe he had another reason for buying it, but I had no, I, I, I did not expect anybody to, to go and buy anything like that. But, um, you know, you're inspired to make things and you, sometimes you never know. Yeah, and I'd love to know about this piece as well. This looks like similar to the beer piece, but more of the traditional cups and paper cups and things that you might see at a after a picnic or whatever. Uh, but I was going to make a comment about the elephant. Maybe maybe the gentleman lady friend was a member of the Deltas, because I do know that the Deltas are all about elephants as well. So exactly. if I had been a Republican, exactly. they could have been a Delta. Exactly. Yeah, you never know. I mean, you know, and then they've got the white elephant parties and all that stuff. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of different uh, symbolism that elephants represent for people. Um, but, um, I mean, this was the styrofoam. I mean, I had gone out and I had sorted all this stuff and, 
I, I, that was pretty much all I did. I mean, it was, <laughs> and so, I mean, people look at it and they see what they see. I mean, unfortunately, um, the art was more so the exhibiting it in a gallery and having it be something that people just wouldn't expect to see in a gallery and, and, and to cause them to consider it in a different light. Um, yeah. Barracoon, uh, I, I, I like this Barracoon story because it talks about the last black cargo. And oftentimes in philosophy, they talk about slave mentality, master mentality. But at the end of the day, you know, in America, this was the last slave. So all you got to do is go to work and be grateful. <laughs> it makes sense. And I definitely want folks to hear a little bit about that before we get to the other uh, two. And definitely do want folks to go and check out so much more of what you have on your a plate with your art and everything, but I do want folks to hear a little bit about this. And it looks like it also incorporates something from Zora Neale Hurston, which we also know has roots here to Durham, having taught at North Carolina Central University and having done some work here in the community, even though known definitely as being somebody from around, I believe, the New York area. But I do know that, oh no, Florida area, Florida area. But I do know that she did come at one point and teach in um, North Carolina Central University. And I do see that there is a at least a mention of her, uh, their um, eyes were watching God and everything along that line. So definitely I'll let folks hear a little bit of this one. Well, just a little bit because it's a long one. Oh yeah, it's very long. So with this, I sampled some birds and I found some hip hop beats and I put it over this book, this audio book that um, I had found of Zora Neale Hurston's uh, Barracoon. And for me, it was just a way of uh, embodying working outside and doing doing the, the work that uh, helped create the exhibit that all this stuff was then, uh, uh, you know, existing within. Um, wow. And so did it incorporate, uh, without going into the whole detail, folks can go back and check out the whole thing if they want to, but did it include some of Zora Neale's actual interviews with some of these folks and everything that you incorporated in the long piece? Oh, yeah. I mean, after the introduction, it gets into the interview of uh, this, uh, uh, I can't remember his name, but of this guy who was considered the last uh, slave. Okay, well, maybe we'll jump forward in here. Well, just... Zakula or Zakula or something like that, I think his name was. Gotcha. So we'll see if we can't jump up a little bit more until we hear any of the interview. Cool. Well, they can go back and check out a little bit of that and everything, and I'll go back and find that and maybe incorporate it in a later edition of the show. But definitely am a big fan of Zora Neal and all of that, so we'll definitely let folks hopefully go back and check a little bit of that piece as well. Um, but the first one I was going to get to was Black Space, and you definitely had mentioned 
packaging space as well. So what is black space all about? And are we thinking black space in the sense of black is in the African-American or are we thinking black space is in just like a black room? Uh, I was thinking of black in terms of, okay, here's this material. I'm going to take this material cardboard and line a space with it. And to me, the, the material represented protests. I mean, between this and black consci consciousness represented protests. And so by painting it black, by putting it in a room, I was challenging the white cube uh, tradition of walking to a gallery space. Because uh, traditionally, you just walk into a gallery space and it's a white cube. So with this black space, I was creating a space that represented or that offered blackness as an alternative. Um, and when people got in it, it was amazing. People were lying around on the floor. They were rolling around and talking about how comfortable it was. Um, and I mean, who would have thought, right? Um, because, you know, often traditionally uh, we think of black things and darkness as being evil or scary or frightening. But in this space, by doing this, people had a completely alternative uh, reaction to the color and to the material. And, and I found that to be exciting. Wow. Sounds like it. But I mean, when they were in this space, was it as uh, frantic as it is here? Or is that just kind of the way that you shot the video? Because like I said, you're saying that they were very comfortable in this space. As I'm looking at the video, it's kind of frantic. Oh, well, if you click on the, the image to the right, um, yes. um, this, see, this just is a way of me showing the interior and the exterior, but the image to the right shows a little bit of how the space uh, just looks. Actually looks and everything. Gotcha. Yeah. gotcha. And how long would folks stay in the space? I mean, was there any designated time that folks could stay in this space? And which gallery was this space in? Because I'm actually trying to figure out if I can recognize the gallery, but it's not coming to me or anything. So this was at Golden Belt, and people were in there for maybe five minutes, ten minutes. I mean, people ended up playing a, a, a band, ended up walking in there and playing a, a, a whole song. You know, it was kind of funny. I wish I had documented some of that. But Wait um, a minute. Now, was the band originally intended to go in there and play? Like, you booked them, or the Golden uh, Bell people booked them, or did it just kind of, like, happen um, in kind of like a... Uh, natural way where it was like not planned but the band just happened to be in the space and decided to play on their own it happened naturally uh the band was in golden belt performing in golden belt uh, you know providing music for all the spaces but as they started walking around when they saw this space they just felt so inclined to go inside and to perform and well, um i mean and and people ended up watching them and they enjoyed it and and that was that yeah, that would have been great if you had been able to document that, because I'm sure that must have been just an amazing concept, the fact that they were there in one of the other Golden Belt spaces and then wound up being interested in doing it as a performance piece. Yeah, and I mean, and to me, them just enjoying themselves, I mean, that was the thing that, you know, given the fact that I was inspired by protests and offering an alternative to a white cube, I, I just found it so great that people, when entering into that space, they, they enjoyed themselves. Yeah. Now, you had earlier alluded to this piece. I was going to bring that up. And then, like I said, I do want folks to go to calvinbrett.com and see a lot of the other ones that we didn't pull up and everything. But definitely um, tell us a little bit about packaging space, because you had mentioned that earlier. And I was definitely going to pull this up as well. But tell us a little bit about what packaging space is all about. So, I mean, packaging space uh, was essentially talking about how all of our actions relate, how you know, what shows up in a box eventually 
you know, may become a piece of trash and then somebody might pick up that trash and then maybe one day it'll become a piece of art. Um, and packaging space was just a way of allowing people to use these uh, scrap materials found at the scrap, scrap exchange to uh, then go and pick them up and arrange them in inside of a box and create a little mini installation within the, the larger installation. Um, and um, this was actually a group project. I had about five or four other artists working with me on it. Um, so I couldn't have come up with it all on my own. I mean, all I did was put up the cardboard and put up the boxes and bring in the materials. And then uh, Jacqueline Bowie went and brought the uh, projector in so that people could play with the slides. And and then and another artist, uh, Anne Gregory Bepler, she came up with the idea of having the strings hang down and, and connect to the teddy bears and all these items that people would then pick up and have the main uh, piece within the boxes. And then um, uh, uh, some other artists came up with the video. All their names are listed at the end of the video and at the bottom of the page. Um, we'll definitely give folks a little. We'll definitely give folks a taste of that as well. One of the things that um you just you had me think about was, like I said, one of the uh, day jobs, which is actually a menial job, is that I've been um packaging um COVID kits lately and everything for Measurement Incorporated, which is one of my day oh, jobs. Wow. And usually I do testing of grade papers and all of that because that's what Measurement is. It's a testing company, but as kind of a um, holdover project or a project to get people to kind of like at least get some income while we're waiting for the regular papers to come in and everything. They've been having us package uh, COVID kits. And I am not, as family members will tell you, I'm not the most uh, detail-oriented person. So I was probably not the neatest person in my first round of them. So they were not done efficiently or effectively. And I had to actually restrip them and everything. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, I just do all of that stuff away. That was probably found art. I could have just made a whole art piece out of my mess up and everything if I had been hanging out with Calvin before instead of throwing him in the trash can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's what I would do. But that's why I say, you know, sometimes it just takes doing it, you know, and that's really it. Exactly. So let's check out a little bit about this as well. And so like all the stuff that you see going on inside the space, that's what people came in and just made by themselves with wow. the items that were in the room. So it was kind of an interactive, uh, playful sort of exhibit. Yeah, it sounds like a very interactive, playful exhibit. And I did see that there were a number of folks, like I do know Ann Gregory, uh, 
Bepler, actually knew her before it's Anne Gregory and everything. And I see Jenny Blazin and a couple of other art folks that I'm aware of were involved in that piece and everything. So definitely looks like a very powerful piece and all of that. So definitely uh, looks like some amazing artwork that you've been doing and everything. So definitely folks can go to calvinbrett.com and everything. Where else can folks find Calvin at if they wanted to get either buy the artwork or if they wanted to find you to have the, uh, you do a public art piece if they want one done in their neighborhood or what's the best way to reach um, Calvin Brett out there in the uh, world of social media? Oh, I'm on everything. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr. Um, all you got to do is type in Calvin Brett or Cal Brett on Instagram. I'm Cal Brett. Uh, or no, yeah, I'm Cal Brett on Instagram. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm all over the place. Um, and honestly, if you go to my website, if you scroll to the bottom of my website, uh, you can see all the Instagram, you can see all my social media links on that as well. Um, all the way to the, oh, there you go. Yes, you've got yeah, Tumblr so, and Facebook, LinkedIn, Vimeo, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. So they're all there on the bottom of your page and everything. One of the other things that I saw at the top of your page, uh, and I know that it can be very important, we've actually got a travel show on the international broadcast media, and they've actually got me doing some, uh, like some items. I think I've got a hoodie and a t shirt, a cup, and a couple of other items, but. How important is it for you as an artist, not just to have your artwork, but to also have merch in order to help with your selling? Because I'm thinking that the shop is both a combination of your artwork, but it might also be some merch items as well. Whether that's it, you have your own cup. So, yes, it definitely looks like you have some merch items as well. So how important is it for you as an entrepreneur and an artistic entrepreneur to have uh, merchandise um, as part of what you do? It's all a learning process. You know, I'm all, I'm just trying to have different avenues, different price points, different ways people can own some, some art if they want to. I have one of those blankets myself and I really enjoy it. I need to get me a mug. I mean, so for me, it's like, it's stuff that I would be, that I would want to buy. You know, these are things that I'm, I'm, I'm interested in making. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's all, um, it's all a learning process. It's, you know, just, just, uh, offering new ways for people to potentially own something that I've made. Gotcha. Um, you have this piece that's going on that I just found that had a roaring cat and an ostrich that was running really fast. And that was a gorilla. So what is it with this particular piece? And it looks like it's in the shops category. So I'm not sure what exactly we're shopping for on this piece, but what's going on on this particular piece that I just stumbled across. Oh, uh, this piece is called driving. You know, I love to drive, but I was thinking about the environmental effect as well and trying to balance that out. Now, I mean, we're moving into electric cars these days, but um, to me, this was just my way of, first, I documented uh, a driving trip I did uh, from uh, Texas to Colorado. Um, but then after that, I came back and I brought this environmental effect thing. And, and this was the piece that uh, emerged as a result. Um, and now what does it have to do with shop? It has nothing to do with shop. It was just a way of me having some art uh, happen. 
The new Macy's Backstage at the center at Preston Ridge is now open. Here's the deal. Our name says Macy's, but Macy's Backstage has totally different finds at incredibly low prices. Think the latest looks, home decor, toys, and more. Plus, Macy's Star Rewards members earn on every purchase, except gift cards, services, and fees. So join us at the new Macy's Backstage at the center at Preston Ridge. Off price, on trend, arriving daily. More at Macy'sBackstage.com. For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger, Offering supplies and solutions for every industry. With 24-7 support and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Come moving up there. Gotcha. But yeah, I've said seen the driving piece earlier, but yes, and uh, I think the cat is what caught my eyes because I'm definitely a fan of the cats and certain other animals as well. So I saw the roaring kind of raging cat and I was like, wait a minute, there's a cat in this. So I was just curious as to what that was, but definitely I can see where the environmental impacts would be going on as well. What is a place that you have not uh, had a chance to show your work at that's kind of like your dream place that you would like to have your work shown at or the dream location and it can be anywhere in the world because like i said the international broadcast media is a global network so who knows there might be somebody at the louvre or at whatever museum there is in australia or south africa but is there a place that is like a dream place that you would like to have your work shown at if you had that opportunity uh, i mean i would love to show it out any of the major museums i mean you know moma right you know <laughs> there are a lot of moments um, that would be a, that'd be a pretty cool place to show yeah, I can definitely see showing it more, more like the Louvre and uh, I think that's Paris or whatever, or definitely some of the other ones that are very popular and everything along that line. Is there a place that you haven't visited? Because like I said, you've definitely done a lot of traveling around the country. I don't know how much you've done internationally, but are there places around the world that are your dream places that you would like to visit at some point or another? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've done a lot of traveling around the country, but I have not really left the country too much. Um, so that's really my next thing is to to get out of the states. I mean, I'm I'm interested in China, um, but I mean, I'm really interested in like Nigeria and Morocco, um, some South Africa. Um, but I I I'm I, you know I'm 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 really you know, and then of course you know places in Europe like France and um, London or or England. Um, so I mean, I've I've got some places on my list, but. Um, Gotcha. But one of the things I think is, uh, yeah, I I would love to hear all the places. If you got other ones, I would love to hear more of those as well. Like I said, I know that one of our shows is in South Africa, so we'll have to see if we can't get Alexandria May, who is kind of a Taylor Swift of that area, and she spent time between South Africa and Nashville, even though now it's more South Africa because of the pandemic. She's a young lady in her mid-20s, but definitely has got that kind of pop kind of community in South Africa. So I know she's plugged into the whole art community, both visual as well as performing and a, um, a number of other art communities, even though she's a singer, uh, singer songwriter type and everything, but she's plugged there. And brother Mike who does mind closet, which is every Friday morning is out of Nigeria. So he's plugged into the religious community there, but other communities also. So there are some people in our family of the, of the network that might be able to get you to those places and everything. Cause I know brother Mike oftentimes watches my shows and checks out the different guests that I have and all of that. So there are definitely some folks in those regions. 
we actually had Vivian's China at one point and she was actually a student intern and she may be coming back at some point or another, but she did a whole thing about China. The joke that we had about her show was that she would show the different provinces and she would also show the different restaurants and the different dining places. So we all got hungry every time that she did her show because the Chinese food was very good and all of that. And like I said, we weren't eating it, but just the display of it looked very appetizing. Cool, cool. <laughs> what are some of the other places that you said you would like to go to if, that, if I cut you off? Because I didn't mean to cut you off at all. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I, I would like to be go everywhere. Honestly, I mean, that, there's no place. There's beauty everywhere, and I'd love to see it. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, cool. Well, I'm gonna let you go. I know you got to bounce, and I've still got a few more. Uh, minutes to go within the show, but part of that will be covered with maybe some tape from the Kamala Harris uh, thing and everything. But one of the things I always have my guests do on all the shows is I definitely give them an opportunity to share their uh, thoughts of positivity, their words of encouragement, things that they would like to share with our global audience and all of that. So that's one of the things that I try to do on a regular basis with all of my guests and everything. So if you've got any words of encouragement that you would like to share with our global audience, now is the time to share that. And if there's any just like final thoughts that you want to give people as they've been listening to you for about two hours and everything, I'm sure that they would love to hear any uh, other thoughts that you would like to share other than what I pulled out of you in our interview and all. I'd say don't give up and control your thoughts. Uh, make sure you are very aware of the thoughts that you're thinking and, and to think positive thoughts and, and to, you know, be aspirational with your thoughts. Don't, don't fear uh, the thoughts that you have, you know, just, just say what you want and, and be it um, and, and work towards it and don't give up. I mean, what else is there? Uh, and be happy, you know, be right. happy and be healthy. <laughs> right. All important things, and definitely I think a lot of folks would love that and everything. By the way, earlier, and I hadn't meant to get to this comment sometime back, it was almost an hour ago and everything, but Kim was saying that at some point you'd love to have a weekly art exhibit here on the network and things of that nature. So we'll have to get together with you and some of the other artists and see about possibly showing some weekly artwork on a regular basis because I do know that they want to encourage the uh, creative community among some of their other goals, like they're all about um, – fiscal literacy and things of that nature because they feel that that gap is a gap that needs to be narrowed and uh, along those lines. So they're definitely about that and about narrowing some of the other uh, systemic gaps that exist within our society and along those lines. But I do know that they are definitely about supporting the various artists, not just here, but globally and all of that. So they would probably be interested in having, as we've done here today, a lot of artwork showcased. And uh, if there's new artwork that is coming up, then they would definitely love to see that as well. Speaking of which, are there any new shows that you have coming up locally or otherwise that folks should be aware of or that they should be looking for, whether it's a virtual, and I imagine most shows these days are virtual, but uh, do you have any virtual shows that are coming up or any physical shows? Because there are still some galleries that are still doing physical shows. Um, I've talked to The Fruit about doing something in July. Um, Mid-July, July 15th is around what I'm thinking. Um, it'll be an installation. Uh, it'll be an installation and some sound art. Uh, there's also uh, at Horace Williams' house uh, in 2022, I'll have an exhibit of just the masks in, Dur in Chapel Hill. And in Greensboro in 2022 at uh, Green Hill, I'll be creating an installation of found objects um, 
alongside um, um, what's her name? Jeez, oh, jeez, oh, I'm forgetting her name right now. Um, very, very alongside other very important artists that are working with trash and, and doing and doing amazing work. Um, so I mean, I'm I'm really excited about that. Sounds great. Sounds like there should be some amazing shows. Are you finding that most of your artwork these days or ever since the pandemic started has been more of the virtual kind of shows? Because I know even a lot of the festivals uh, last year were very much virtual, even though I do know that some folks were doing regular shows at like The Lump and at uh, Pleiades and some other places, even if they were having to do them in that socially distant kind of environment where you didn't have the big crowds that you used to have. Uh, I've seen a lot of virtual shows or I've seen people having them, but I've been to one show at Lump, uh, that actually, uh, uh Jim was in, yeah. um, and I mean, that was an awesome show, uh, as well. Um, but I mean, I've personally been, I, I've, I've seen the pandemic as a way to just start making street art, um, and, and to get out there and start doing my own thing. So it's, it's been, it's been fine by me. Gotcha. I mean, well, what it's been. <laughs> yeah, I know what you meant. I know exactly what you meant. Have you had anything in the street art aspect yet that you are finding that is pandemic related? Or do you have any street art that will be pandemic related? Because um, I know a lot of folks are, whether it's found vials of uh, vaccine or whether it's found this or that, I'm imagining there's probably all kinds of found art or even um, I'm imagining like maybe even the costumes of our um essential workers and things of that nature. Because I do remember that I saw a piece of a couple of pieces that I've seen where they've had statues of um, the um, essential workers, the superheroes. And I've seen those kind of statues pop up near Duke and near the VA and a couple of other places as well. But I was wondering, you personally, have you done anything that is um, pandemic related? That's cool. I have not done anything that's pandemic related, but I mean, that's definitely an inspiring topic and we'll see. We'll see what comes out. I mean, my, my focus is more on environmental stuff. Right. Um, but, um, I mean, I'm interested in anything that's culturally relevant. So we'll see. Definitely. Well, like I said, I appreciate you being here with me for about two hours and everything. So I'm going to let you go and grab yourself a bite to eat. I'm going to talk about some of the other shows that we've got. But if you've got any final words that you want to share before you bounce off, I definitely appreciate you being on and sharing your wisdom and sharing your artwork as well. And do know that you are always welcome to come back anytime that you have anything new that you want to share or that you want to show as well. Because as far as I'm concerned, any platforms that I have, whether it's um, the things that I do here on international broadcast media or whether it's my more traditional audio um, show that I do on um, blog talk radio or whether it's uh, the stuff that I do in the nonprofit low power radio community of WCOM, anybody that's a friend that is of mine or a friend of the families, I definitely make these opportunities available to them as well. So whether it's new uh, friends uh, or folks that I've known for a while that have been connected to folks like my dad, Jim Lee, and everything like yourself, then it's always opportunities that I love to give them to show their works and all of that. So know that you're always welcome back anytime that you have anything that you want to share and any final thoughts that you want to share right now. This is the chance to give them. Otherwise, I'll let you bounce off and I'll bring up my uh, clues for my at least one mystery guest if I don't find the clues for the other one as well. And then uh, the, uh, one of the shows that we've got going on. Oh no, I'm just a student. I'm just I'm just learning. That that that's all I am, you know. And 
not giving up. Just just a student learning and not giving up. Well, I definitely appreciate you. And like I said, anytime you want to pop back in and share whatever is going on or any new things that you've learned or as you continue to develop and grow, just know that this is another one of your homes that you can definitely share your platform with on a regular basis. So I definitely appreciate you joining me here on this evening, Calvin, and I look forward to having you back on in the, the very near future. All right. Thank you, Mark. All right. On that note, uh, we definitely just had uh, that conversation with Calvin. It was an amazing conversation about art, but we've got another amazing artist as well. So I was glad that I was able to bring um, another amazing lady artist on, and that is my good friend Yogi, Yolanda Yogi Barnes, who has definitely done a lot of great work in our community as a poet and all of that. So definitely having her join the online dinner party is always an amazing thing. I think I first met her over there at the Haytai Heritage Center, which many of you that are here on this platform know that I have worked there for a number of years and have definitely met a lot of our artistic community, whether it's folks like Dasan, whether it's been folks like um, Kelly Ray or a number of other great um poet folks as well, Kimberly Redefining Freedom, and of course, Yolanda Barnes as well. So definitely glad that you were able to join us, and definitely I saw that you had popped in and we're hearing some of the uh, things that I was talking about just in terms of the news, and then of course I did play that previous interview that we had going on with um, the artist and all of that, but he's a great found artist and done a number of other art forms, and definitely glad that you were able to join us as well. So how are you doing today? Are you covered with the COVID and everything? So how are you doing? <laughs> it's so it's so good to be here. Thank you so much for for offering the platform. Um today has been an interesting day. <laughs> I would love to say it's been great. <laughs> but today started off kind of with us, I guess a small panic attack. Just everything kind of got heavy and then I had to decide how to move forward how am I going to get back up and move forward because the day has to go on and um, I just started thinking and being grateful and uh, the day did end up being a better day but the roller coaster ride I guess is sometimes needed you know (laughs) <laughs> yeah, sometimes you got to have that roller coaster ride. And I know that that's even sometimes what inspires you folks that do spoken word and all of that. So I know that folks uh, definitely that are seeing you for the first time, this is the international broadcast media. My friends, Kim Calhoun and Nick Palveda, along with several others, have put this together. And they've got several shows that are here, everything from singer-songwriter shows to the talk shows that I do to a number of other kinds of shows that exist and everything. So those that are watching that are from around the globe, can you tell a little bit about how you got involved in spoken word? Like I said, I saw you come as one early, but a lot of folks may not know how you got involved. And also, I'm sure that they're also thinking maybe it's the kind of pain that you had to go through today that leads you to do your spoken word. So share a little bit about your journey into spoken word. Okay, so I started off as a rapper, (laughs) and I was 13, and I had this little red notebook, and I wrote nothing but raps, and one day, it wouldn't come out right. I couldn't rap it. It just, I couldn't wrap my mouth around it, and my friend looked at it, and she said, oh, it's not a rap. That's a poem. 
you're writing poetry. And I was like, what? I need a hit. And she said, you don't need to stop writing this because this is where it's at. And I've been writing since 13. Um, uh, as with many artists, you go through your ups and downs, your ebbs and flows, your highs and lows. Um, I started to kind of live life which happens. And right. I didn't pick up the pen again until after a breakup. Um, it was after that breakup that I really truly found a love for poetry again and spoken word. Um, I ended up going to, I'm in Fedville, North Carolina. And uh, I went to a poetry spot where they had every Wednesday night and I was there before the host got there. I would write my poems before the night and that's how I ended up having fresh ink every week for months. And then I just dove deeper and deeper into it and then began to um, write books and help other people write books and just grow. And I have grown in this in a way that has, has taught me so much about life and living and writing and, and uh, is it fuels me. It really well, does. It fuels me. Good thing that it fuels you. How much do you feel that it is important to go through? Because I've actually talked to other artists of all sorts, everything from poets to musicians to artists like visual artists to a number of others. But how much do you think it's important to go through some of those pains, whether it's relationship pains or whether it's life pains or whatever it is, in order to motivate? your stories. Cause I know even when I go to like the uh, poetry uh, slams over at Haytai or when I'm involved in a number of other ones, you do find people are oftentimes using um, both social issues as well as their personal pains in order to tell their stories. So how important do you think that is in your own work to reflect on your own pains in what you write about? I think that it is what fuels my pen. I think that is the badge of honor for being a poet. I think that I wouldn't be a poet if I could not internalize and then explain in a way that makes it easy for maybe somebody who doesn't have the words to say, oh, you you say it's so easy. That's what I've been feeling. You know, that kind of thing. I feel like sometimes the people that put themselves through things, like I don't, I don't feel you should have to put yourself through anything. You shouldn't create the drama. You shouldn't create those situations that, that bring up those kind of um, situations. But what I think is you are given these things that look like hardships so that you can pin something beautiful from them on the other side that makes makes life easier for somebody else. I, I feel like everything I've been through has been for a reason and has been for bigger than me, always bigger than me. And it's been because I can handle it. Right. Definitely. That makes sense. And the other thing that I've always been fascinated by, a lot of you spoken word artists, is that a lot of times, and this is just musicians and entertainers in general, have to take on the role of being a griot, but that's also being an activist. And to me, that's very much an important role of what the poets do. And I know that there are a number of poets in our community that have written about 
race relations even before Black Lives Matter was very popular and have definitely written about um, things involving Me Too and the things that you ladies have gone through as well in terms of like abusive situations and all of that. So how important do you think it is for an artist to be an activist as well? I think the activist part is if they're ready. Because anytime we go through something, we have to go through a process. So for me, the poem about domestic violence, I lived through that. So I have to be brave enough to actually talk about it. Now I have to go to the next level. Am I going to be brave enough to stand in front of people, tell my story, and then help them Mm -hmm. through theirs? That's the activism part. Are you ready for that? Is that something that you want to take on or is it just enough to kind of bring up the topic? And um, in my spirit, it says, it says not to be a, um, what do they say? They say um, trigger warning. They always say, you don't want to be a walking, talking trigger warning um, with everything you say or could possibly do. At that point, it becomes, do you need to do something more? Are you fully healed? That's the question. If you can't push past that to actually helping somebody else. But I think if you can get past your pain to talk and bring up the topic, to inform other people that there's help, then you can get into that if that's where you want to go. But I wouldn't force anyone to be an activist, but just not to be a walking, talking trigger warning. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You definitely don't want to be a trigger warning and all that. One of the other things I've always admired about you, Yogi, is that you are also very much, and there are a few others as well, but you've also had a very much of a spiritual connection to your works as well. So how important is that to you? Because it seems to me that that's very important just in your life in general is not just being an artist, but being an artist that is spiritually connected. And I know I've got a good friend of mine that actually does another show here Actually, um, he used to do two. Now he does one, funk music with Zach. But he oftentimes talks about the importance of spirituality in his funk music and things along those lines. But you have also been one that has been very much tied to your spiritual upbringing. So I would love to hear you reflect on the spiritual importance um, to yourself. Because like I said, I've always thought of you as being one of the more spiritually grounded folks that I know. Oh, that's so good. Um, You know, I always hear the story about when I was born and they'll tell you that they rushed me off because there was something wrong with my lungs. So there's always been something bigger. I just, I'm not one that goes to church every Sunday. Most people would think that, Oh yeah, Yogi's in church every Sunday, honey. No, I'm not. I listen to the spirit. I know that this is bigger than me and there is something in me that somebody needs. If it's just one person, Um, I listen to gospel music when I'm writing. I just, it is definitely something that I have yet to put my finger on, but when I sit down and I have an idea to write, I lose track of time Mm -hmm. and I trust it. I don't be like, oh, it's time for me to stop. I 
trust it because what's coming out on the paper is for, for first for me, then for whoever I choose to share it with. Um, it, it's really, really important to me that I don't talk around color lines. I really don't. If you ever notice, I just don't. I grew up a military brat. And so I know what it is to live around different people and different cultures. I love that. We are all more alike than we are different. Mm -hmm. And I think I like working with those elements to where you can read it and put yourself into that. And I think that just spiritually, I'm allowed to do those things to be able to reach audiences broader than I even imagined. When I found out that there was a a Mexican man that loved my book and then a white lady that liked my book and then some black young teenagers like my book and I'm going, they all looking at the same book. (laughs) But they all were able to pull something that that impacted them and it was just powerful to see that because they they, you know they tell you in business to you 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 find your market i'm going Mm -hmm. well i'm gonna do that (laughs) it's It's fast (laughs) so i just i just count on the spirit for everything because i can't put words to what he has for me yeah that's interesting that you bring up that whole concept. Well, actually, a couple of things. One, I agree with you on spirituality because I definitely am of the opinion, and I've actually mentioned it on this show several times and on a couple of the other shows that I've been part of as well. I sometimes think that we get too caught up in divisionary factors, and there's got to be more than one road in order to get to the heaven's gates and all of that. But I sometimes think that our church leaders are kind of their way or their way or no way, and they kind of have that mentality. Whereas I'm of the opinion that, you know, I don't think that uh, the Dalai Lama is wrong. So I think that he's probably led a good life. I don't know the man personally, but from what I've heard about him, he's led a good life. So I'm thinking he's probably going to be up in heaven. I'm definitely thinking that a number of other folks that might come out of the Muslim uh, religions might be up there as well. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking that heaven is going to be filled with a lot of folks that are of, like you said, different races, different uh, religions, different classes, different, a number of other things that are going on in heaven's gates and all of that. But if you listen to some ministers, you would have them believe, particularly some of the extreme ones, that it's their way or the highway. And it's not just strictly a Christian thing. I've also heard extremists in the the, uh, Muslim communities, extremists in the Jewish communities, extremists in a number of other communities that have that kind of attitude, whereas I believe that it's all one human family. And I think that there's got to be more than one way to get up to heaven's gates, just like there's got to be ways to have unity here as well. So that's just some of my thoughts. But I was wondering, would you agree with me on that and everything? Yes, I definitely agree with you. I've, I've seen and been places and I know we are more alike. I can't say it enough. We are more alike than we are different. We just are. And it's about breaking down those barriers that make us believe or think that there's so much difference between us. Mm -hmm. When we just look at the basic building blocks, we all want a good life. 
We all want a place to live. We all want a, you know, good for our children. We all want uh, equal pay for the job and work we do. We all want those same basic core. We all want to eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, you know, there's, there's some basic things we all want to do. And, and when people begin to layer in confusion, chaos, mm-hmm. that's when the problems come in and the ego and believing that something or someone is better than someone else, that's when the problems start. And that's yeah. when I always kind of step back and just kind of, yeah. what yeah, is going that. on here? You got to do that. You got to breathe sometimes. There's no doubt about that. Sometimes you just got to breathe. I know in talking to a lot of different artists of all sorts, we oftentimes talk about the nature of show business. And a lot of times I think that artists in general are great at having the talent. And definitely there are some tremendous talented people out there. But I don't know that we always know enough about the business side. So what point did the business side become important to you? Because I also sometimes feel that even in the poetry community, that we don't know enough about the business side as much as we should and everything. And then also, I sometimes think that we get caught up in like divides as to whether you're a spoken word artist or whether you're a a non-spoken word artist or whether you're a slam artist or a non-slam artist and a lot of these other kind of things. So I just wanted you to talk about a little bit about that and also the importance of business. Okay. So it was so important to me that in 1992, I think I started the Business of Poetry, Poetry Inc. And it is a group online on Facebook. And it was so important to me. I was, I get, I get fired. I was tired of seeing people get booked for shows and, and, and forget about a contract or, or take next to nothing. And I was tired of seeing people use these um, selfies on their flyers to promote shows. I was tired of hearing people complain about people and exposure when we haven't done everything. At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we've upped the benefits without upping the price. With Magenta Max, you get our best plan for 5G with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus, you'll pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone. We'll pay it off up to 800 bucks Only at T-Mobile. Capable device required for 5G. Activate up to 4K or video streams of 480p. 40 gigs high-speed tethering. Up to $800 via virtual prepaid card. Allow 15 days. Support charges waived. See details at T-Mobile.com. Life gets more magical when you dream. So dream of a Disney cruise filled with magic and wonder. (laughs) Hiya, pal! Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line. Everything we should do. Now, the truth of the matter is, a lot of poets never start off wanting to be poets. Never Mm -hmm. understanding that what we're doing is turning into a business we are branding ourselves with every step on stage. We are talking to people who are saying, I love that poem. If you put it in a book and then when you put it in a book, you never see that person again to buy the book. Now you have a whole bunch of books to sell or back in the day, CDs or whatever the case may be. You've, you've made product. Now you've forgotten that you are now a business 
we jump, it's okay. But once we jump, like they said, all during COVID, we are flying the plane while we are building the plane. At this point, it's just about, is your bio together? Is your press kit together? Um, do you have a rate? Even for people who have a hard time saying, no, look, I'm going to tell a little trick. These artists need to start using their middle names. That's your booking agent. Um, let's, really, let's really focus on getting things cleaned up. Um, we love to complain about all the things that people do to us, but we don't want to fix us. And it's time to change. It is time to change, especially with the onset of COVID. I'm, I'm feeling myself heating up right now. I am right. heating up right now because, because people want you to come and they say, oh, I don't got to pay you because you're just going to be sitting in your bedroom with a, with a ring light that you got from Walmart. No expensive equipment. No, 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 no. You still got to go through a booking agent. You still have to book me. You still have to do those things because if I don't train the person now, they won't know for the future. And a lot of us are bold on stage. You would just be rawr on stage. But when it comes to somebody asking you to do something, um, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, I get, I don't have a price. What do you mean? You can't be the same person that was just up on stage. Exactly. What do you mean? And some yeah. of our insecurities come out. We are shy. We are creative. Some people love to write, but hate to write their bio. Some people love to, you know, be out doing um, slam poetry, but hate, you know, checking their emails. Like, can we just check our emails, people, our voicemails? You know, those simple things. We hate to do it, but can we just take an hour a day and handle some business? Because I guarantee you, you're missing shows, you're missing paid gigs, you're missing, missing, missing. And, you know, the whole thing about slam is slam is a perfect way to advertise yourself, yeah. period. Is is It's really not about the scores if you get some features. Right. <laughs> you know, if somebody saw you in the audience, you'd be great for this event. As long as you can handle the business on the business side and make sure you get paid. Um, the pop for that was a hundred dollars. You just got paid five. Mm -hmm. You know that like if, if you look at it the way that I look at it and, and that's the way I don't want everybody to look at it the same way. I just want them to take it more serious. Right. Yeah, you didn't ask for this but you're an amazing poet and this is what you get. And yeah, also want them to know that just because you're a poet, guess what? You're an author. You can write copy. You can do other things. You, you know what? You bring other things to the stage. I heard you sing. So now you're a songwriter. You can do other things you know let's not stop at just writing poetry let's look at residencies oh y'all don't know what that is let's look it up let's talk about you know let's talk about growing and being a poet laureate oh they don't have one in your area you petition for it 
Right. You'd be perfect, you know, those kind of things. Auditions for poets, looking at, you know, different um, business opportunities. Now that COVID is here, do we build? Do we do we create shows? Do we do we just kind of sit it out and wait for COVID to be open? What do we do now? You know, it that that is what the site is about. And yeah. It is definitely something, a passion. I always put contests and, and when I find things from people, I put it in there. Um, with over 500 members, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how many people truly pay attention to what's in there. I have several times said I'm shutting it down because they're not listening. They are not listening. <laughs> You give them but great I advice. They need to going. be listening. They <laughs> definitely keep, need to be this listening. Is one of my passions. <laughs> this is one of my passions. Like, ah, uh, and I and, and I'm 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 okay if we don't do it right every time. But let's work and strive towards being better. Let's just stop stop with the simple stuff. Because if somebody comes to you and you do it for free or for next to nothing, then they come to me and I say, well, here's my press kit. Here's my rates. Here's my, and they looking like, but, but if we all get on the same page, they have no choice. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing. If we all get on the same page, they have no choice. Now, that makes a lot of sense. Definitely need to get on that same page and everything. I was sometimes wondering, do you ever get sick and tired? I know even on the um, corporate level or the business level, whether it's a institution or whether it's a festival or whether it's a number of other things, they will come to the poets, they will come to the musicians, and they'll ask folks to perform for, like you just said, little to nothing or try to get the discount rate or the friends and family rate. And I'm sure that you've <laughs> dealt with that even there in Fayetteville. So do you ever get tired of that kind of like folks wanting you to do things for little to nothing? And like you said, you've been doing this for a number of years. You've been doing it since the early 90s and we're in the 2021s now. <laughs> A lot of people scared of me. I don't think they, they just don't ask. <laughs> I don't get booked for a lot of stuff. <laughs> I, and it's crazy, but they're scared to ask. Because they're like, oh, no, we're going to have to pay her. Mm -hmm. So but I'd rather them be scared because they're going to have to pay. Then then and it does happen from time to time. Um, A whole a whole workshop and you get $25. Wow. For a whole workshop. Whole workshop. $25. Like content on content on content on content on content. $25. Now, I could be mad, but I always go back to that spirit like somebody needed that. Yeah. There was somebody that needed that. And, and, and otherwise, I wouldn't have been in that position. Yeah, that makes sense. I said, but I won't oh. be in that position again. <laughs> I know that's right. And, we'll do that and again. I say no first. <laughs> and and God is so good because every time something comes up that's kind of, uh, yeah. um, I always have somebody slide in with a paid. <laughs> they 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 book it right quick with a paid and it'd be on the same day that the crazy stuff would be on. And I'd be like, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm already booked. 
All right, but can't take that gig because you got the paid gig. That makes a lot of sense. I've heard people say, and I've heard this about artists. I've heard this about musicians. I personally don't think that I can sing. Folks say I've got a decent voice and a radio voice and all that, but I don't think that I can sing. I think that I sing flat and all of that. But I've heard people say anybody can be a poet. I think it takes a skill to be a poet and not anybody can be a poet. What is your thoughts on that? Can anybody be a poet or do you have to be develop the skills and maintain the skills? Or do you think it's like something that just about anybody can do and or anybody can be engaged in? And also, who are some of your favorite poets, whether that's the contemporary, what I call um, classic educational poets like Robert Frost or people or Langston Hughes, or whether that's some of the more contemporary uh, spoken word artists from around that area, whether that's like a, um, a Dasan or a Joseph Churchwell or a um, Kelly Ray or a number of other ones, but definitely who were some of the poets that inspired you both from a traditional poet sense of like historical as well as from the more contemporary side. And they can even be from not necessarily here. They can be from Fayetteville or Greensboro, wherever. I'm a big fan of Gil Scott Heron. I thought that he was an amazing poet, but I was just wondering yeah. your thoughts and everything. Yes. Um, can anybody be a poet? Hmm. I think that if they try hard enough, they can be. I'm not going to tell anybody. Like my, we don't yuck nobody's yum. You can be what you want to be, you know. Uh, now will I feel it? <laughs> when that's that's that that's the difference. That's that's the that's like the magic touch. Like when they say something, will you be able to feel like that's what they've been through? Right. Like will your will your spirit jump and leap at every word? Uh, that takes that takes something else. That that's that's something else. Uh, it takes time to get close to that. Mm -hmm. But if you born with it, if you if this is what you was born to do, it don't matter what you say. Everything gonna shake and shimmy. And magic sparkle dust everywhere. That's what you want. That that that's the sign of a, a, a poet for me. If if I see the fairy dust everywhere, I'm like, oh, I love them. <laughs> and, and poets that do that for me are your Megan Rickman. I know she got a different last name now, but y'all look her up underneath her unmarried name. Um, she got videos out there. Uh, Megan is amazing to me. The sign is amazing to me. Um, I personally love Gil Scott. Mm -hmm. I love Langston Hughes. And a little more modern. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think who who else. I, there's so many people. There are so many people that just do that for me. Yeah. And there was a young lady that I just saw her video. It was beautiful. I don't remember her name though. But I meet poets all the time. And it's just an honor to be able to be around them and listen and talk to them or just look at them from across the room and smile. And that be the only interaction. Um, I'm just happy with that. But yeah, for me, my number one is Megan. Well. Wow. Do you think that uh, the fact that she did such an amazing job 
during the inauguration some two weeks ago that Amanda Gorman is going to bring a highlight and bring poetry back to the forefront and everything of that nature. Because I definitely think that before she passed away, Maya Angelou did that to a lot of folks and definitely inspired a lot of people to have nothing else, read more poetry. And I'm thinking that Amanda Gorman may do the same thing for some of our younger folks. But also I've heard folks, even as the age of my dad, and my dad is um, just turned... Uh, Let's see, I believe he just turned 81 and everything like that. But definitely mm-hmm. he's in that age range and everything. But definitely I know he's been inspired by a number of folks as well. So I was just wondering, do you think that that is going to be the case with a number of our uh, poets being inspired by Amanda Gorman and what she did at the inauguration? I think I think not only her performance, but the gentleman on um, America's Got Talent. Mm-hmm. Poetry is just hot right now. But the climate that we're living in right now demands it. We need it. And so the popularity of her and him, and I find it interesting that there's a male and female balance in that. I love that both um, coming from completely different angles at the same topics. Um, they, They are going to start what is going to explode poetry into its next revelation. Here's the thing. Are we going to be ready? (laughs) (laughs) Because they're ready. Our poet laureates, they're ready. But our, our everyday poets, are we ready? Because now should be the time when we're like, nope. You saw what Amanda did? I can do that two times ten. Just, you know, eh, no disrespect, no shade, no tea. Just, we do this too. We OGs in the game. We should be able to do some things. But, But with everything exploding and then somebody asks you, do you know her? No, but you know me. Exactly. <laughs> you know, let me get you my press kit. Let me get you my. You, we should be doing that right now. Well, we should be able to use them to pivot our promotion and our position off of right now. But a lot of us still can't even do that. Well, and that actually brings up another thing. I've heard people say that they think that we're in the middle of, and ironically, the last one was near a pandemic as well, but they think that we're in the middle of a new renaissance, whether it's the uh, art, whether it's a number of other things that involves a number of different cities. Of course, everybody thinks of the renaissance as the Harlem Renaissance, but there was also a lot of artists that were coming out of um, other parts of the country, whether that was Tulsa, whether that was um, North the Carolinas, whether that was a number of other places that was during the time of the Harlem Renaissance. So, so Neil Hurston even came out of like Florida area and everything. So I was just wondering, do you think that we're in the middle of a new renaissance? And do you think that, um, like you said, about even the poetry explosion, do you think that the larger community as well as the artists themselves are ready for the new renaissance because I think it's a new renaissance that's cross-generational, cross-cultural, um, cross-orientations, cross a number of the other things. But I'm just wondering, do you feel that we are in the middle of a new renaissance? I think we are. I think maybe not necessarily in the middle of it. I think we're at the beginning of it. Wow. 
I think after everything we've been through with the pandemic and with the last administration, I think a lot of artists were a little more timid. Mm -hmm. And I think now is the time when we exhale. Now is the time when everything is going to come out. This is going to be, I think, probably by mid year to the end of the year, you're going to start to see the the serious. Now, we saw the comical pieces. We saw the funny things. Um, but we're going to see the serious take on. We're going to see the serious art, the serious poetry, the serious refrains on all of the things that's been happening, the capital, we're, the, the, there is art generating in people right now that has not been stroked by brush, has not been written by pen yet. It just hasn't settled yet. Yeah. But when it does, and it will, it's going to be amazing to see the take from all generations mm -hmm on the same topic. Wow. And how have you been coping, um, coming back to the whole health thing that we're in with the mm -hmm. COVID and also with kind of what was going on with that last administration and that crazy attempt to have an insurrection and all of that, but how have you as an individual mm -hmm. been coping with that? And how have you been processing that? Whether it's processing and the whole thing that we're going in the middle of the pandemic or processing the fact that some crazy folks tried to take over the country and all of that. But how have you been processing all of these things in your own life? Ooh, at first I was a little, I was a little, um, beclimped. And then I said, wait a minute. And I got on my Dick Gregory and I said, this ain't my business. <laughs> this ain't my business. <laughs> so I just kind of, <laughs> Focused on myself, focused on, you know, my daughter, focus on my family uh, and tr and try to stay strong and focus on what we need to be focused on. Because sometimes that outside stuff can really is really just not a distraction for you, but it can crash and burn everything you're trying to do. So I just stayed uber focused on what it is I'm working on making sure that I attend the workshops I wanted to attend, making sure that I did my artist retreat like I wanted to do, making sure whatever it is I wanted to do, making sure that I did it. And I did it in, in excellence because everything else can crash and burn. But if I did what I was supposed to do, mm -hmm. I could have some peace of mind. Yeah. And as yeah. It, 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 now you can take that any way you want to, a peace of mind... <laughs> or a piece of mine. Gotcha. Now, that makes a lot of sense. And I know a lot of folks have been having that same kind of reflectionary attitude and just trying to cope any way that they can and all that. Have you been doing a lot of shows during the whole pandemic? And if so, have you been doing them? Or have you been, uh, like so many people, just doing the virtual space? Or have you actually had a chance to do spaces in limited performances? Because I know that in certain places, certain bars were opening and they might have like 25 people. They definitely were not the same packed houses. I know Haiti has been pretty much uh, shut down for several months, but they have been doing those virtual performances and a number of other kind of things with limited audience. So how have you been uh, performing yourself and um, what is your hope for 2021 in terms of performances? 
Okay. So for me, I have started with that very first night I found out that we was in COVID. I had a um, one woman show. It was a limited audience. Uh, and from there, I went straight to Zoom. And this is what I want to say about that. Uh, a lot of people have such a negative attitude. I appreciate the negative, but can we switch it up, please? Because a lot of people have downed this thing so much that they have not thought about all the creative possibilities that come with it. Well, I started doing an artist retreat every week. Um, I started doing it every day, but then I was like, wait a minute, this is a lot. So I did it every week, every Friday. And what I would do was I'd set up my Zoom to be like a spa. And we do, we would leave the outside world outside for two hours. And then after that, you can do what you want to do. But we would be in there painting, drawing, making jewelry, creating. Uh, here at the end of the year, I took a break for about a month. I said, okay. And I just bought it back. And I was able to bring it back on a different platform. So I am super excited about doing my show and other shows on this platform and actually just being creative. I think if people stop being so negative and stop looking at Zoom as just Zoom and figured out how to make it different, how mm -hmm. to be creative in something that's not your norm. Um, speaking of norms, we ain't going back to norms. This is mm -hmm. the new norm. <laughs> This is the new, so we have to figure out how to work in it while we're here. The thing about it is you can drag your feet and be all grumpy all you want to, but you're not learning. I have found out about lots of different platforms, things that have been made in the 90s, in the 80s for virtual reality that, that are free, that are free, that we can use now. And I'm, I'm exploring everything. I'm just, I am running through every program platform. I'm writing companies that probably were like, I didn't think this stuff would work either. But now all of a sudden they're popular because the, people need their services. Um, I do a game night online. Um, like the possibilities are endless. And once we stop with the mental block of, uh, we can actually do something. So I think 2021 is going to be amazing. I'm doing some stuff for my job that's on these platforms, creating stuff that they've never seen. We've never done it before, but guess what? We're going to jump today and we're going to do this today and it's going to work and we're going to be the first ones to do it and everybody else is going to just follow along. <laughs> and and that's what I want people to have more of that attitude because we don't know how long we're going to be like this. But yeah, the last thing we want is for it to be a year and some change in and everybody is burnt out. Yeah, I think you're definitely right about that. We definitely want some change and everything. Actually, this network, the international broadcast media, came about because of that change. Because, like I said, uh, Kim and uh, Nick Palveda and Ankit, who's out of India, were actually finding out that about COVID 
from like other parts of the world, like um, definitely around, I think, China and New Zealand and everything else and knew that it was working its way this way. So they started doing like daily reports and then basically created what this is, which is a internet broadcasting network that's got like so close to, I think close to like 60 or 70 shows of all variety of sorts and everything. I do about four or five of them. And definitely they've got these different platforms and definitely folk come in and have all kinds of conversations. I know Alexandria May does one out of South Africa and she's kind of the Taylor Swift of that era and everything, but she also spent some time in Nashville. So she does some music uh, performances and conversations around music, kind of that uh, singer songwriter um, kind of uh platform that's very popular with songwriters and all of that so she does that some guys out of colorado do a show which is called talking upstream where they basically whiteboard tv show ideas and movie ideas and other things like that so that's their show and then uh, brother mike we call him but he's out of nigeria and he does like a mm -hmm. spiritual show and all of that but he's had incredible conversations including one last friday that was with a young lady out of california that was talking about her love and uh sex addiction and all of that but he's also mm -hmm. had folks talking about their version of a Black Lives Matter because they faced some things with their police officers in mm -hmm. Nigeria. And of course, when you've had the fact that the police officers are also Black there as well as the victims being used, that's like a whole nother layer versus where in here, a lot of times it's uh, the white cops that are doing things, even though we've had some Black cops also acting wrong as well. So definitely, but usually because you've also got the people of the same color, but they might have tribal differences or other kind of differences. It has mm -hmm. another kind of complexity to it. So that's just some of the shows that exist. There's also one that my friend Jatovi does. It's called Gamers Den, and that's on Thursdays. Mm -hmm. And that's about the video game industry and all of that. So they're doing all kinds of great shows. And uh, the folks with Shoe Crazy, they do a show about wine because they actually have a Shoe Crazy wine. And then a show on Thursdays is about education and about the importance of education and it's called Learning Unwrapped. So they actually explore just kind of like about the whole education industry, mostly here in the United States where they do explore it on a global aspect as well. So right now it's mostly been conversations around what's happening here and all, but I think that you would uh, definitely enjoy it. We're gonna have to see about get some of those workshops that you're doing on this platform as well as of course, having you do some of your other things on this platform as well, because I'm always recruiting new shows for the uh, network yeah. and all of that. So I know that you're an amazing lady and that you can do some amazing things. One of the things that I wanted to have you do before we get ready to, um, and we can continue the conversation for a while, but definitely one of the things I want folks to know is to hear some of your works of poetry. So I said, put that in the chat. So if you've got anything handy that folks can hear what yoga is all about and get at least a little bit of your work, I'm sure that the global audience would love to hear a little bit of your work as well. So can we get a taste of Yogi? Yes. I'm going to give you some fresh ink okay. uh, from a workshop. I have shushed you into silence one too many times, folded your concepts into the crevices of my mind, hoping to hide you. Covered ears and la 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 you into a lull. I'm sorry. I have tampered with your timbre and left you trembling, being afraid of the truth you provide, not respecting your resilience, your truth, your love through connected letters. You are deserving of better. 
and I am sorry I ever discounted you. I'm sorry I hid you, lied to you, and shushed you when I should have loved you the way I will now. Lightning in a bottle, covered in cotton, wrapped in blankets, masked in sticky gum, my voice addicted, melodic, captivating, strong, shocking, and sultry, the sound. I'm sorry. I should have never shushed you. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. This is great job, as always. For folks that are watching globally and want to learn more about you and where they can find your poetry, what's the best way that folks can reach you and actually get in touch with you? Because I know a lot of folks around here and definitely in North Carolina and everything know you. And of course, you've also been part of poetry teams and all of that. So definitely, how can folks reach you that may not know who you are and everything? Because like I said, it is a global community. And I know we've got folks that watch from as far away as New Zealand, Australia, and Malaysia. So, and definitely here in the United States, Canada, and a number of other places. So You might have noticed a change in your neighborhood lately. Yep, Sprint stores are now T-Mobile stores. Now that Sprint is T-Mobile, you get more coverage, value, and benefits than ever before. We've invested billions to bring our 5G from big cities to small towns across America. And great coverage is just the start. From high-speed mobile hotspot data to weekly deals and giveaways, our customers get tons of great benefits. Head to your new T-Mobile store to learn more. Qualifying service and capable device required. Coverage not available in some areas. Some uses may require certain plan or features. See tmobile.com. Life gets more magical when you dream. So dream of a Disney cruise filled with magic and wonder. <laughs> Hiya, pal! Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line. They're watching and are interested in finding out your work and everything, what are some of the best ways that they can reach you? And what do you consider some of your strongest literary works that you would like folks to pick up a copy of? Okay. So my book, Why Aren't You Listening? is my book that's available on Lulu. And uh, you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, at Yogi with two eyes. It's Y-O-G-I-I-W, the number two, I-S. And that's also my Gmail. So Yogi with two eyes at Gmail. If you want to email me, just put in the subject. Sounds great. And I've always wondered this. How did Yogi come up with the name Yogi? Because it doesn't help fit <laughs> with Yolanda or Barnes, but it's been a nickname that I've known you as for a while and everything. So where did Yogi come from? <laughs> My mama, <laughs> she said, I love to eat. And so Yogi was, of course, you know, back in the day, Yogi Bear was very popular. And so right. she started calling me Yogi. And I loved it up until I got to be a teenager. And I was like, oh, I don't like this. You know, it's hard to be a rapper with a name like that. So I went to Yo-Yo. But then Yo-Yo, of course, was a rapper. So I changed it back to Yogi. Uh, when I got older, I wanted to define myself. So I said I wanted to be yogi with two eyes to make it different. And I said that I'm turning ignorance into intelligence and ink into inspiration. And so those are the two eyes. 
that's what you are. Inspiration. I like that. That's didn't know that. So now we know that that's what that all stands for. And yes, I do remember Yogi Bear, and Yogi Bear was definitely very popular and everything along those lines. Do you ever think that you would ever go back? Because we had a guest on one of our other shows not that long ago that was involved in the rap industry and was actually in that whole 50 set and definitely uh, would be considered getting up in the age range and everything, but they are still active in the rap industry. They're actually part of one of those famous West Coast cliques and all of that. But do you ever think that you would ever go back into hip hop or rap or is that part of your life something that you've already set aside? Or do you think that you would ever get back into the hip hop game? I'm going to say that for my baby. Shayla is is got it. Shay Skittles has it. She can have it. <laughs> I just make sure that she's good. <laughs> so you're going to let her do it. And then you're going to be like, do the, uh, you're going to do the managerial side. <laughs> you're going to do the managerial side. Yeah. That makes sense. You'll be, you'll be the manager. What are some of the things that you would like to do? that you haven't done yet. Like I said, I know that you've been mm-hmm. on Slam teams. You've definitely uh, attended different things and everything, but what is on your wish list of things that you would like to do? And what are, like I said, it's a global network. So what are some of the wish places that you would like to visit that you haven't visited yet? Okay, so I want an Emmy. Okay. I want an Emmy. Uh, and I'm going to work hard for that Emmy too. I'm going to work hard for it. I'm going to get it. Uh, I can also say I want to own a building, nonprofit, found the building already, um, for artists and creatives to come to work, to commune together in, in a space where they can grow and learn and workshop, and the building will function every day of the week in some shape, form, or fashion, all it's it's all written down. I got it. I got it written down. And the places I would like to visit would be mostly islands. The the mostly all of the islands because I just need a vacation. <laughs> In any island we'll do at this point. Any island. She's like, I'll take Jamaica, I'll take Trinidad, I'll take Cuba, as long as it's an island, I'll take Australia, Australia's a very big island, I'll take New Zealand, as long as it's an island, you don't care where in the world it is, as long as it's an island. I just need an island. She's like, any island will do, she just wants an island and all of that, and any island will do and all of that. So, yeah. um, you know, I hear you, I could, I could use an island trip too, I did one about... I think it was three years ago when I went on a cruise. It was my first ever cruise and everything went with a friend mm. and everything. And that was my first ever cruise. I haven't been on one since I did the, uh, I didn't, so it was not this past uh, winter because that one I just kind of like stayed on the home front during COVID. And the one before that, I was in um, the beaches of North Carolina, which was cool and everything. And then the one before that was Las Vegas. So we're talking four winters ago. So it was four winters ago was when I did that cruise and everything. So I think I'm due for another cruise of some sort or another. So I don't know where that cruise is going to be, but I'm due for a cruise and all of that. Uh, one, one of the things we do, and I'm here to wrap everything up, is we have this thing called, the. of course, this is the online dinner party. It's what I do every Wednesday and everything. I've got, like I said, three shows that I do, actually four that I do regularly. So 
definitely this is the online dinner party. And I think that Yogi had just bounced off, but I was going to share with her that it is always great having her on and hopefully she'll be able to come back on. But as part of the online dinner party, we always have our mystery guests. So I've got to give y'all the clues for the mystery guests as I get ready to wrap up and all of that. So definitely get ready to uh, bring up our mystery guests and definitely we'll see if uh, Yogi wants to come back and give us her words of wisdom because that's what I was going to ask her if she had any things that she'd like to have to encourage us. As you know, I love to do that with our guests and all of that. But in the meantime, I'm going to bring up some clues of our mystery guests. I've got three mystery guests and uh, definitely our mystery guests will be coming back and there's Yogi back again and everything. <laughs> so one of the things that I do on the show is we have mystery guests and uh, usually I pull up a picture, but this time I'll just give their names and everything. And then the other thing I do is I always let my guests give us their words of encouragement. But the guests get to play along. The rule is that they, if anybody's watching, they have to guess now and I get to read it in the comment section. But those that are watching can play along and if they know the answer, they can tell the audience and all of that. But um, definitely I've got three mystery guests and I'll give you some quotes of the mystery guests and all of that. The first one is that they said there is no, there is in the world no such force as the force of a person determined to rise. The human uh, soul cannot be permanently chained. So this particular person said this. They also said strive for that greatness of spirit that measures life, not by its disappointments, but by its possibilities. So that's one of the things that they said as well. They also had something that they said about you ladies, which I agree with. They said, there is no force equal to a woman determined to rise. So this famous person said that about women. And they also said, children learn more from what you are than what you teach. So they said, children learn more from what you are than what you teach. Uh, and they also said, we must complain. Yes, plain, blunt complaint, ceaseless agitation, unfailing exposure of dishonesty and wrong. This is the ancient unerring way to liberty and we must follow it. And they also said education must not simply teach work. It must teach life. So they said that about education and all of that. And they also said mm -hmm. to be a poor man is hard, but to be a poor race in the land of dollars is the very bottom of hardship. So that's some of the quotes that they said and all of that. And they also said something about race relations mm. we talked about it earlier. They said, I believe that all men, black and brown and white, are brothers, varying through time and opportunity, in form and gift and feature, but differing in no essential particular. And here's what they said about art. Begin with art because art tries to take us outside ourselves. It is whatever it is a matter of trying to create an atmosphere and context so conversation can flow back and forth and we can be influenced by each other. We can be influenced by each other. So that's some of the things that they said and all of that. They said that we can be influenced by each other. So uh, that's some of the things. And by the way, he knew Einstein because uh, in 19... Uh, wait a minute. Go back to the Einstein. He knew Einstein because in 1930 he had contacted him for a contribution to the crisis this kicked off a continued correspondence on race and racism, and he became a citizen of Ghana. He died there two years later in 1963 and was given a state funeral. He did not quite live long enough to see the Civil Rights Act of 1964 enacted. And he loved Durham. He said he was so impressed with the booming African-American business and commerce in early 20th century Durham that he wrote an essay about it. So he wrote an essay about Durham 
and all of that. So definitely he did that. And he actually helped found um, the uh, NAACP. So he was at the second uh, National Negro Conference in 1910, during which the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, also known as the NAACP, was created. It was he who suggested the use of colored to encompass more minorities. He was given the, per, the position of director of publicity and research in which capacity he served as the editor of Crisis. And he supported the Democratic nominee, Woodrow Wilson, in the 1912 presidential campaign, even though this was a violation of the Socialist Party rules, and he was forced to resign from that particular party and all of that. And uh, he also was not a big fan of Wilson later. As he said, Wilson, however, turned out to be no friend to racial integration, and he was disillusioned, so he supported Charles Evans Hughes, the Republican nominee in the 1916 election. Gave you a lot of clues. Yogi, you got any ideas as to who we, that might be? We got a, we got two more that are much easier, but do you have any mm -hmm. idea who that might be? Not off the top of my head. Um, okay. She's trying to think. She's pondering. She's wondering. What is your own thoughts of being a um, and the importance of being a mom? You talked about relationships. I know you're very close to your daughter and all of that. So I would love to hear you talk about the importance of being a mom. Oh, it's so changing of your life. <laughs> it's so it's. I'm trying to get her to get me the charger right now because I'm on two percent and she she acting like she can't hear. Um, it changed my life. My daughter was a preemie and she was born October 29th and I didn't bring her home until February the 13th. And that, that changed my life. Some of the things that I have not even begun to really write about. Um, being a mom has, has changed, changed my voice as a poet, as a, as a woman, it has, it has developed me into somebody who I'm still learning every day, every day. I'm meeting myself over and over again by not only looking at a little version of half of me, but looking at myself and saying, what kind of mom do you want to be? Wow. And how, how can you, what am I supposed to do with half a charger? And how can I survive? <laughs> <laughs> and and I laugh and I pray and I you know and I just bring bring the thing so I can charge it. Please, please, please. Yep, that's pretty much our relationship right there. That's pretty much being a mom for me. Um I go to bed when she go to bed because we that's just how we get down over here. You know, there ain't no late night parties and all that stuff. It used to be. It ain't no more. It just is. Did she eat? Did she do a homework? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and as I recall, you were also a relatively, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were also a relatively late mom compared to some other moms and everything. Because I think you became a mom late in life and everything. So I don't yeah, think that it was like, like, huh? I did that. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were a later life mom, not like the mom that was doing like the 20 set or the teen set or even like the 30s. I think you were a late life mom, as I recall. Yeah, so. yeah. She's going to be 
she's gonna be ripping and running around me. I'm like, baby, just slow down. <laughs> you you gonna be asking her for she's gonna be you gonna be asking for the walker? You gonna be asking her to bring the walker to you? I'm like, oh like, Lord, no, Shayla, bring me some sort of charger, baby, some sort, any sort. It is so okay, it's going to be a lot of moving around. Hold on. You can have the moving around for sure. Well, <laughs> Yogi's moving around and everything. I will tell folks that particular person that we were trying to get Yogi to guess, and we'll see if she can guess one of the other ones, if she can find a charger, was none other than W.E.B. Du Bois. So like I, I said, know it! That's W.E.B. Du Bois and all of that. And by the way, the other clue that I was going to reveal was I just decided I put that in there. Was that actually anybody that knows my dad, who is a visual artist here in Durham, he used to have a picture of W.E.B. Du Bois in his house. I need to see if that picture is still in the house or not. I believe that W.E.B. Du Bois knew both mom, I mean, not mom, but knew both dad and, uh, well, granddad and grandma. So I think that that's why that picture was there and everything. But I do know that there was a picture of him in the house. But yes, that is who I was looking for. And I need to see if dad has still got that picture in his study because that's where I recall the picture being at. The last time I went visiting, I don't remember whether I saw that picture there or if he's moved it to another location or whatever. But that's who we were looking for was W.E.B. Du Bois was that particular person. Now, this next person, did you find a charger? Hopefully you found a charger because the next person, and I think, is much easier to remember and everything. And I've given all kinds of easy clues for this person. And I think that Yogi will get this one very easy and all of that. We might get to their quotes first because the quotes might be harder than the actual person. But they said, you lose nothing when fighting for a cause. In my mind, the losers are those who don't have a cause they care about. And they also said... I am America. I'm the part you won't recognize, but get used to me. Black, confident, cocky, my name, not yours. My religion, not yours. My goals, my own. Get used to me. And they also said, only a man who knows what it's like to be defeated can reach down to the bottom of his souls and come up with the extra ounce of power it takes to win when the match is even. So that's what they said and everything along those lines. But definitely they had some great quotes and all of that. They also said that, uh, oh, yes, that's a good one. I'm a fighter. I believe in the eye for an eye business. I'm no cheek turner. I got no respect for a man who went back. You kill my dog, you better hide your cat. Nope. So they said, yes, they said, that you will kill their dog, you better look out for that cat and everything. They also said, champions aren't made in gyms. Champions are made for something they have deep inside them a desire, a dream, a vision. They have to have the skill and the wheel. So they said they have to have the skill and the wheel. And they also had a nice quote about impossible. Impossible is not a fact. It's an, impo it's an opinion. Impossible is not a declaration. It's a dare. Impossible is potential. Impossible is temporary. Impossible is nothing. Yes. And they also said friendship is the hardest thing in the world to explain. It's not something you learn in school, but if you haven't learned the meaning of friendship, you really haven't learned anything. And they also said, impossible is just a big world word thrown around by small men who find it easier to live in a world they've been given than to explore the power they have to change it. So what? that's what they said. Yeah. And they refused to be inducted into the armed forces, stating publicly, no Vietnam, no Viet Cong ever called me that inward. So they said, no Viet Cong ever called them that inward. And their memoirs, 
were written by, were edited by Nobel Prize winning novelist Toni Morrison. And last but not, well, I might have some other ones. Ring Magazine, a prominent boxing magazine, named him number one in a 1998 ranking of the greatest heavyweights of all times. So they are definitely there. And they inspired Martin Luther King, who had been reluctant to address the Vietnam War for fear of alienating the Johnson administration and its support of the civil rights agenda. And in 1962, the year I was born, he met Malcolm X, who soon became his spiritual and political mentor. And by the time of the first listing fight, NOA members, including Malcolm X, were visible in his entourage. So definitely that's something about this particular person. And he, um, in his, well, he won six uh, Kentucky Golden Glove titles, two National Golden Glove titles, an amateur athletic union national title, and the light heavyweight gold medal in the 1960 Summer Olympics in Rome. And he claimed that in his 1975 autobiography, that shortly after his return from the Rome Olympics, he threw his gold medal into the Ohio River after he and his friends were refused service at a whites-only restaurant and fought with a white gang. So that's what this person had to deal with and all of that. And at 22, at the age of 22, he became the youngest boxer to take the title from a reigning heavyweight champion, though Floyd Patterson was the youngest to win the heavyweight champion at 21. So that's a little bit about him. And he first was directed toward boxing by Louisville police officer and boxing coach Joe E. Martin, who encountered the 12-year-old fuming over a thief taking his bicycle. He told the officer uh, that he was going to whoop the thief. The officer told him he better learn how to box first. So, so the officer told him to learn how to box first. And definitely that's a little bit about him. And he was also recognized as the most recognized sports figure of the past hundred years, crowned Sportsman of the Century by Sports Illustrated and Sports Personality of the Century by the BBC. So I'm sure that you can guess who that is. Do you have any idea who that one is? Muhammad Ali? That would be Muhammad Ali. Very good. Yes, she got Muhammad Ali. That's Muhammad and Ali. I knew the W.E.D. Du Bois because uh, earlier today I saw something where it said he graduated from Harvard, correct? Yes, he did. And he said uh, they asked about how he felt about graduating from Harvard. And he said that Harvard pretty much should be glad they had me. Exactly. Harvard <laughs> <laughs> should have been glad to have him. So, yes, you, you did really well in that sense at everything. And our last one is a historical because we always try to have at least one or two from the United States and then one international one. So this time I went back in the world of history and all of that. So apart from her beautiful name, she was, in fact, considered one of the most beautiful women in Egypt. One source even suggests that she might have gotten a facelift to make her beauty more glorious. And um, Tutta, well, King Tut's wife, was her third daughter. She served as a queen of the 18th dynasty of Egypt. Strangely, uh, Tut and his wife shared the same father. Therefore, they were siblings. And she had several titles. She was given several glorious titles, including uh, Great King's Wife, Great of Praises, Sweet of Love, The Lady of the Two Lands were some among her many titles. So those are some of her titles. And she, her husband uh, was known for converting Egyptian religion from polytheism to monotheism. Priest at that time accepted sun, circle, as deity, calling it a ton or a tin. So definitely, and uh, apparently um, her and some other princesses are missing. So they don't know where they are. It says the fate of her and three other princesses still remains in mystery. 
Some historians suggest that she herself separated from the Pharaoh and retired to live in either Thibs or in Amonic. And there are several movies about her, and most of them uh, have her name in the title and all of that. So definitely that's uh, one of the things about her. And her name signifies the uh, beautiful one has arrived. And she formed, uh, even before um, Asteladi, she formed her own line of makeup, utilizing the Galani plant. So she had her own line of makeup way back then and all of that. And they also said that the king's love of her was uh, well known. And as a couple, they were often seen riding in chariots together, even kissing in public with her sitting on his uh, on his knees, a dynamic not generally seen in the depiction of ancient pharaohs. So definitely that's one of our people, just our international person. So you have any idea who our international person as well? It ain't Cleopatra. No, it's not Cleopatra. No. That was my, I don't don't know. It's in that same general area as Cleopatra. So you were actually doing close. When people think of Cleopatra, the other queen of Egypt that folks sometimes think about is Nefertiti. So that was Nefertiti. Uh, Yeah, that was some of the history on Nefertiti and all of that. So definitely that was that particular person. So the two things for folks that are thinking that they want to get involved in poetry and they think they want to be uh, poets or they want to get involved in the, the field, what form of advice would you give them? Have three notebooks. Um, the first notebook is that the, the, the notebook that you throw up in. It's the one you write everything down in. It's the one that you don't worry about how it's spelled, how it looks. You don't worry about editing. You just get it out. The second book is the book that you kind of go back to that first book and you go, oh, that was kind of dope. And then you work on those things in the second book. And then the third book is for your stage. It's for it's for when you decide to share. Everything is written pretty. Everything is in that third book is what you're willing to take to stage. Um, don't try to be somebody else. Be you. Your voice is your voice for a reason. Don't worry about who who gets more attention. You will get the attention that you are deserved from what you have to say when you use your authentic voice. It's cool to get ideas from other people. It's cool to collaborate with other people, but know who you are first as an artist is key. Um, if 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 you don't like being judged, don't slam. Um, <laughs> period. Uh, don't don't think that a score relegates your artistry it does not it's just just some random people giving you a score um you should write from your heart write from your spirit um write what feels right to you and in everything you write be honest with yourself first and everything else will fall into place that makes a lot of sense and some great advice to give to folks that might be thinking about getting involved in poetry and everything um, from the book. Can we still one good small number and everything if you still got the book and everything, just maybe one of the smaller numbers. And then the last thing I was going to ask you is any word of advice that you would love to give to our global community. Because like I said, we have folks that watch even in uh, team replay from all over the globe and all of that. So any words of 
encouragement or positivity that you would like to share with our global community. And then if you've got a work from the book that folks can share, because I want folks to go buy the book, but then I want them to hear the work so they know what they're buying. <laughs> what they're Small, small piece from the book. Um, brain fart. Um, that happens from time to time. Global peace. <laughs> um, I lay prostrate daily, giving sun salutations to my inspiration. He has infused his essence in me. Nine months of this glorious divine divinity, a moment in serenity into this day, he's still blessing me beyond my wildest dreams that I acknowledge he creates. See, there's no room for discussion or debate. I lay prostrate as he makes the road straight. He has the prayers sent up, returned to multiply mine and all the ones around me needs. And I keep thanking him for his influence. And when it's hard for me to hear him, I call on him to make me strong again. See, this poem this poem is from my inspiration to my inspiration as I lay prostrate in his glory. That's that piece. Um, advice, my global peeps. Embrace, love, and keep doing what you're doing. The world is a lot smaller now, a whole lot smaller than it ever was. And we all are of one big family, so... Welcome home. Definitely great thoughts and everything. We are definitely one big family. There is no doubt about that. One big glorious family and all that. So Yogi, I want to thank you for being on. Know that you're welcome to come on any of my shows, which are usually on Mondays, Wednesdays. And then we do like a round table after my friend Zach's show on Sunday. So I'm generally doing stuff with international broadcast media every Monday afternoons, Wednesday afternoons, and definitely on Sunday in the, the early afternoon, like after around one to three o'clock and all of that. But you are always welcome to come back. I'm sure that the other folks would tell you that also, and we might even have to get you to do a poetry show because I know that they've been talking about wanting to have some book shows and a number of other kind of shows. So we might have to have a whole show around poetry and maybe even have you kind of lead the charge in helping that happen <laughs> and all of that because I know that they love having creative programs of all sorts and definitely we don't have anything that is involving spoken word right now. So I've definitely <laughs> talked to some of our other spoken word community members, but definitely none of them have jumped on as of yet. So definitely you might be the first one that can get the ball rolling and all of that. So definitely <laughs> hopefully we can get that going and possibly have you do something on a regular basis. But I do want to thank you for being one of my guests on this particular online dinner party, for playing along with the game and everything, but also for sharing your wisdom and just being your usual always charming and effervescent self. Well, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. No problem. Glad that you were able to come on. Like I said, I hope that you're able to come back. I'm going to put on the uh, clip that has the plane and the founders of the uh, network on in the uh, picture and everything. And then I'll mm -hmm. hit the end broadcast. So if you want to stick around, we can just chat after that for a minute or two. But definitely, uh, this will be what we use to wrap up the show and everything. Okay.
Welcome back to the quickest podcast ever, brought to you by Kohl's. Today's topic, fall style. Wait, wasn't it just June? Right? So I went to Kohl's. Of course you did. I got a cute Kara Santana for Nine West sweater for 25% off and a great pair of Vans. Love Vans. And save 25% on a champion hoodie for my husband. Ooh, sounds cozy. You should go. You'll get 15% off or 15, 20, or even 30% off with a Kohl's card. BRB. Select styles. Offers end September 26th. Champion coupons do not apply. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. Life gets a lot more magical when you dream. So let's dream of a vacation unlike any other. A magical Disney cruise. <laughs> Hiya, pal! Where new stories meet tales as old as time. Enchanté, mon ami! And your family will be cared for the moment you step aboard. Sail from Florida to Disney's private island paradise and get ready for a dream come true with Disney Cruise Line. 